Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I'm said host Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of June 10th, 2022, including Summer Game Fest 2022 just took place, and we have tons of news to pour through. Halo Infinite's co-op campaign is finally happening. Saudi Arabia is investing heavily in Embracer Group, and more. And on this day in Xbox history, Monster Jam Battlegrounds was released for the Xbox 360 worldwide in the year 2015. Don't ask me why the hell an Xbox 360 game was being released in 2015. All right, guys, we have a massive podcast to get through this week. We got Summer Game Fest just happened literally hours ago at the time I'm recording this. And we've got so much news from that on top of an otherwise pretty standard news week in terms of the amount of shit we have to get through. So, guys, buckle up. It's going to be a long episode. And also, I do want to quickly at the top of the show apologize because last week I failed to mention or failed to remember to mention that this week's episode is obviously being delayed today to accommodate the Summer Games Fest. So if you follow me on Twitch or Twitter or whatever, you may have seen that I... I reached down those platforms to notify people, but if you don't follow me and you just follow the podcast and that's the only way you ever interact or see me in any way, shape, or form, you're probably just like, what the hell? Why uh, Why did you just not upload today, you freak? And if you're like 99% of people who listen to this podcast, you probably were just like, oh, I didn't even notice, man. Good on you for uh, putting out another episode. So whatever. I just want to apologize for that because I, I mean to be more transparent about the scheduling. That's actually very important to me. And with that said, I have another announcement about scheduling. Obviously, we're in the thick of what used to be E3, but this is that summertime where all the big gaming events are happening. All the big game announcements are being made. All the publishers and companies have all the announcements and the press events and the showcases. So we're in the thick of that right now, and of course, the biggest one for us, the one we're mostly anticipating, is just days away. On this Sunday, June 12th, Xbox and Bethesda will have their showcase, their summer showcase, which is basically the big showdown, the big blowout deal for Xbox of the year, and we're you know we're going to get our Starfield gameplay reveal and a bunch of more news, so obviously it's a huge deal, but we're going to have to change next week's podcast in order to accommodate that event as well, so... This week, you're getting your episode a day late to accommodate Summer Game Fest, and then next week, you're getting your podcast super early to accommodate the Xbox and Bethesda Showcase. So the Showcase will be on Sunday the 12th, and I will basically watch the event that afternoon, spend the rest of the day uh, writing, recording, and editing the podcast, and then Monday morning, the same time as always, 9 a.m., but Monday morning instead of Thursday morning, the podcast will go live. So this week, you're getting your podcast a day late, and then next week, you're getting your podcast three days early. So apologize for the sloshing around of the schedule. I know it can be frustrating if you are a commuter, you know, a work commuter who really relies on your podcast on specific days to kind of get you through your week. I, I am that way. So I know exactly how, how much that can suck when it's like, ah, this podcast wasn't there on this day when I needed it, or ah, I came out too early this week. So now I'm not going to have something to listen to on this day. Not to assume that people feel that way about my show, but I, I know that feeling. So I, I apologize that the scheduling is all gunked up, but 
this is the time of year where we have to do it um, like, like we do every year. So expect the next episode to be live. I mean, this is going live on Friday. So three days later, you will have another episode of Xbox on, which will probably cannibalize the, the numbers this episode does. But that's for me to worry about. But guys, with all of that scheduling and housekeeping out of the way, we've got a monstrous... Oh, wait, one more bit of housekeeping. I'm sorry. I promise. This is 99% news focused this week. Almost no shenanigans. But... Um, I did want to point out, just because every week I do ask, um, please, if you, ha- if you have any uh, inclination to do so or ability to do so, if you, if you wouldn't mind, please leave a review, particularly on iTunes if you're an Apple user, because that's the big one for getting your podcast noticed. But any platform, Spotify, whatever, it's all appreciated, of course. But this week, for the first time in a while, we got a, uh, a iTunes review, an iTunes review. And so I'd just like to take a minute to read that. Joe Soap 79 wrote in and says, Five stars, five out of five rating. Thank you for that, Joe. And says, writing this review to balance out the negative ones, which I think kind of missed the point of this podcast. Sure, there's a lot of irreverent talk, but the host, Jesse, has actually a very eloquent use of language, particularly when describing anything to do with Mountain Dew. Recommended above a lot of the boring Xbox does good kind of podcasts. Joe Soap, thank you so much for that. those really kind words. I appreciate the humor and the kindness and the five stars, of course. Now, Joe is referring to something. This is news to me, okay? I, I need to tell this a little anecdote because it's, it's kind of silly. I didn't realize this about iTunes. I've been tracking my stats on iTunes for three years, and I didn't know this until this week. But apparently when you're looking at your analytics for your, your iTunes reviews, you have to select, you have to sort by country. So... Every time I've looked at my reviews and my ratings for iTunes, I've always, you know, pat myself on the back. I have like a 4.7 or a 4.8 out of 5 average rating, and I was very proud of that. I, t- I take a lot of pride in that. I'm like, wow, th- thank you. I mean, obviously, it's not too many reviews to go off of, but the ones that are there have rated me pretty favorably, and I really appreciate that. So that's always been a, a little bit of a point of pride for me. But what I learned this week, because I was, I was email notified about Joe's review, was that actually... What I've been looking at for the past three years is specifically reviews and ratings from U.S. listeners. I have to manually go in and select the country I want to view ratings and reviews from in order to kind of get an idea of what people around the world think of the podcast. I didn't know that. I thought it was all just one block of ratings and reviews. So Joe's falls under the U.K. rating where the show actually has a substantially worse review average. It has like a 3.2 or something pretty middle of the road like that and I had never seen these reviews until um, this week and it's really funny because a lot of the reviews and I'm just gonna you know lightheartedly and obviously I don't mean this I'm just being I'm just being tongue-in-cheek like I always am a lot of our U.K. listeners seem to not have a, a grasp on I guess my sarcasm or or just or just lighthearted jabs and humor I I which I find kind of weird because I, I always thought like really dry sarcasm was like a very British sense of humor. I, I know I have a very, I can be very jabby and sardonic and, and kind of mean with my sarcasm. And, and the tone is so dry that for a lot of people, you wouldn't notice it. Trust me, I've gotten that my whole life. People have told me how much I've offended them my whole life because of that. But I, I don't know why. I, I watched a lot of British TV throughout my life. Huge fan of Top Gear. <laughs> <laughs> I guess as as which is kind of a generic response for people liking British TV, but I don't know. I've always thought that that was kind of a staple of British humor. In that, I assumed if anything, that would maybe be one thing that the the UK listeners would uh, would take to. But apparently, the UK li- listeners are livid about that shit because a lot of these reviews are like, "What a rude, arrogant sack of shit!" I'm like, "Whoa, calm down." I mean, I'd be pissed off too if my fucking breakfast 
consisted of toast and beans, but like, chill the fuck out, man. I'm just, I'm just dicking around about about Xbox, man. Like, we don't calm down. But Joe, thank you for writing in. I really appreciate your review. Now I know I had to search individually by country, and I did, I did, I, I searched through like the most frequently, you know, the most com, the the countries that show up the most in my analytics for for listenership. And, you know, generally that's Australia, Canada, uh, English-speaking countries, of course, also countries where Xbox is rather popular. And for whatever reason, I really only have enough data to pull from UK and US. So everyone else around the world outside of the UK or the US, pick up the fucking slack and leave a five-star review. And if you're a UK listener, don't take offense to that. I'm just, I'm just fucking around. Calm down. Everything's not that serious. You guys are supposed to be celebrating your royal queen or king or some shit this week, which is basically just your glorified government welfare that you guys do, but whatever. Celebrities, I get it. Have a great week. Thank you, Joe Soap. Everybody, let's get back to Xbox News and just take a deep... Alright, let's really quick do some stories of mild amusement, updates from last week, these kinds of stories, because honestly, this week is so news-dense that some of these stories that would otherwise normally be in the standard news segment um, are actually getting shafted to the small enough news stories or the stories of mild significance. I don't know. There's, there's too many news segments. Maybe we need to condense that, but we need to, we need to get into this because uh, knock out some really interesting stories in this segment, just because we've got so much to get into in the main news segment. So let's pour through some of this real quick and then we'll get into the meat and potatoes of the episode. Um, or as you guys in the UK like to call it beans and uh, beans and sausages or whatever the fuck you guys eat. Disgusting vile humans. Anyway, Our first one comes from VGC, and it says that Microsoft is expanding its Xbox Game Pass Ultimate offerings with demos and the ability to play purchase games via cloud streaming. It is announced today at the time I'm recording this. Actually, this is just a couple hours old, this news. Later this year, the company intends to roll out the ability for Xbox Game Pass Ultimate members to play from the cloud, select games they already own or have purchased outside of the Game Pass library. Ashley McKissick, Xbox's corporate VP of gaming and platforms, explained, quote, one of the things that players have told us is, hey, we'd love to play our games um, that we already own to stream, not just through Game Pass or not just through the Game Pass catalog. And so later this year, Game Pass Ultimate members, you'll be able to stream from the cloud for games you've already purchased and games you already own as long as they are cloud enabled in the catalog. Microsoft has also announced Project Moorcroft, 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 fuck it, a program which is said to see demos of upcoming games made available to Game Pass members. The program will begin rolling out in the next year. It is said uh, in the beginning it will, quote, focus on providing independent developers from around the world more opportunities to build excitement for their games. Participating developers will also be able to see how their demos perform and be compensated, the company claimed. Finally, Microsoft is claiming it's adding thousands of new Series X server racks around the world, increasing its cloud gaming capacity by 125%. So hopefully that will help a lot with the fact that, you know, cloud streaming is incredibly hit or miss with Xbox. Um, I've had two or three instances where it's worked beautifully, and I've had about 100 instances where it's worked like complete horseshit so this is again this would be a major news story for us on on most weeks but here we are having to shaft it you know to or i guess bump it up to the front of the list um to to just kind of get out of the way but particularly the demos is the portion of this that interests me the most obviously if a game is already you know like for example i tried marvel's avengers a few weeks ago for the first time and I didn't have enough storage on my hard drive, and it was one of those moments where I was like, oh yeah, I can just stream it. I don't have to download it, which is great, because I was probably only ever going to play 30 minutes of the game anyway before I gave up on it. So I was really excited about that. It was one of those like light bulb moments where it's like, this is such a cool feature that I can just stream this directly from my Xbox, give it a go, don't have to worry about downloading it. But now, 
to know that people will also have this ability if they own a game, say, oh, you know, I bought this game three years ago, I played through it, it was a really good time, I kind of have an itch to go back to that game for a night, but I don't necessarily know that I want to move things around in my library to make storage for it, to, to put it back on my hard drive and all these things. This is a great way for you to be able to access and utilize your library, especially of older titles, even if, you know, it's not something you necessarily want to go back to permanently. So I think this is quite awesome. This is an excellent feature. Of course, I think it will be pretty limiting knowing that it's obviously the game has to be a game that is already cloud enabled, which is usually relegated to game pass only games. So this might be hyper specific, like, oh, here's a game I bought and played three years ago. It was on game pass at one point. It's no longer on game pass. And now I want to go back and play it. That's a pretty limiting catalog of games, but you hope that from here it grows and grows. So I think it's a cool idea. It's a cool initiative. It's just another one of those like, God damn, they thought of everything. They got all the features in the service. Say what you want about Xbox, but there's no denying its services are superior to every other platform. This is maybe not Steam, but you know, at least on par. Anyway, the demo part is what really interests me because I deeply miss the era of, you know, when I was growing up as a kid, my, my main console generation in terms of like where I was as a youth in what platforms, you know, were most relevant really was that PlayStation 1 and 64 era into the GameCube, Xbox OG and PS2 era. So like that's really my sweet spot. I had a lot of exposure to Genesis, NES and SNES because I had older siblings and, you know, my just access to a lot of older platforms that I technically was a little like 5 to 8 years too young for. But really for me, it's that like OG Xbox, PS1, Dreamcast, N64, those kinds of consoles. So back in those days, demos were such a prominent part of the platform, especially growing up as a kid that was just like, hey, one year my family got lucky enough that mom and dad bought a PlayStation 1 for the entire family of 200 kids, because I have like a million siblings, to share, but we never have money for games. Like, the ability to like go to the store, buy a PlayStation magazine, and just have it include this stupid fucking disc that's like, hey, here's like five demos for games you've, ne you've never gotten to play or would have never heard of, you know, or had the money to play. And to just be able to like pop that shit in as like a seven-year-old and, and, and be exposed to that and, and, and be introduced to new games that way was such a magical thing. I remember PC Magazine had it. That was the first time I ever played Painkiller was because we had a demo disc from PC Magazine. I know um, OXM, was that what it called? Yeah, Official Xbox Magazine or whatever. They... They had demo discs. All these, I don't know. I'm really nostalgic for that era. And you can see they tried to carry it through when the 360 came out because the 360 had a lot of em emphasis on including demos. And that was, you know, even when 360 first came out, I was still a pretty young, dumb, poor kid. Like, I didn't, I don't, I didn't have a fucking job. So being able to just seamlessly download shit from the internet... Like, I remember, what was that, um, That one, it's like the last game Pandemic ever made. It was basically Star Wars Battlefront, but for Lord of the Rings. I fucking forget the name of that game. But that game was phenomenal. And I just, I, did, I never had the money to, to buy it because I was like 12 years old when it came out. But I remember, how am I forgetting the name of that game? It's driving me nuts. But anyway, I remember that, that demo for that game was online. You could play it with friends. It was just limited, where you could only play like one mode and one map. And I would just play the fuck out of that demo all the time after school because it's like I got I got like two months of Xbox Live and like one video game in my library and I'm tired of playing it all the time. And so I guess I'm playing this now and just I don't know. I have a lot of fondness for demos. Demos can expose a lot of people to new games, especially 
you know, younger gamers with less money and it can be a great way to get people in the door, like in the case that Xbox outlines here, where if you're an indie dev trying to get your game seen and get, you know, lower the barrier to entry so people can try it out, maybe get some more eyes on your game. I think this is an excellent idea. You do wonder how relevant it might be to have this kind of feature in today's world as far as the consumer is concerned when, you know, everything is about free-to-play gaming. And, you know, so many of the kids these days, it's like, well, why do kids play so much Minecraft and Fortnite? It's because it's like, dude, Minecraft is practically free. Fortnite is free to play. What's the other one that's so big? Um, Rocket League is free to play these days. Like, dude, if you're a fucking kid and you got like an Xbox One and no money because you're a kid, like it is insanely amazing to just be like, I have all these really awesome games that are also service platforms and also have endless replay value and I don't have to buy something in order to play them. And so this kind of combats that for all the games that aren't free to play, that the business model doesn't really work for them, like indie one-off single-player games or things like that. It gives those kinds of gamers an opportunity to give something a try without, you know, having money. I, I just know there are so many games from my youth where it's like I would have never played this game if it weren't for the fact that it came on a demo disc and then that introduced me to it, you know? Pretty sure that's – we got didn't we have Soul Reaver Legacy of Kane? Didn't we have that as a demo? I don't remember. But just – uh I don't know. I think this is a really, really cool feature. I, I, I think this is something gaming's been missing for a while, and I'm happy to see it coming back in some fashion. So really cool news there. That's supposed to be all later this year we see that happen. The next thing I want to note, and this is kind of a weird, I don't know how we're going to tackle this news. So the big story today is going to be Summer Games Fest. We're going to go over that ad nauseum. But earlier, actually the, the day last week's episode went live on Thursday, PlayStation had a State of Play event, and it was weirdly enough like the best State of Play event PlayStation's ever done. And it had a ton of news and a ton of games that are actually coming to Xbox as well and news that is just relevant to the Xbox sphere. So we got to talk about that, but I don't want to spend too much time going over a PlayStation event unless it's, you know, relevant news. So I split up some of the stories from that event from last week and put it all over the show. So I wanted to put this one at the top because it's not technically Xbox news. It's PC news, but I think it's incredibly relevant to the Xbox audience. So let me just say real quick. Uh, Spider-Man 2018, the PS4 game that was beloved, reviewed incredibly well, sold bil- like literally tens of millions of units, is coming to PC on August 12th via Steam. Um, it will be launching as the definitive edition with all the DLC, and then later in the fall, apparently, Miles Morales, the spin-off sequel-esque game, will also be coming to PC. And this caught everyone off guard because we know PlayStation's slowly been moving some of their games over to PC after they have, after they've been on the market for a couple of years or whatever. But I don't think anyone was really expecting this to be the game. This this could have easily been one of the games that they kind of held hostage on PlayStation hardware exclusively for a very long time to go uh, before they they had to migrate to PC. But here they are bringing it to PC surprisingly before The Last of Us, before Ghost of Tsushima, before all these other games they could have brought over, and. This is huge because I know for a fact, you know, there are a lot of like those sour Xbox type people, you know, like the, oh, fuck PlayStation. It's not Xbox and therefore it sucks. Of course, we know those people are childish and ridiculous people. But, you know, there are a lot of people out there who are like, Spider-Man is the one game PlayStation has that's like, ah, I kind of would have probably played that game if it were multi-platform, you know? And obviously there are also a lot of people where, you know, money and time maybe are issues for them. They just don't have all the time to justify owning PlayStation and Xbox, or they don't have all the money to have an Xbox and a PlayStation. So this is a really great opportunity for a lot of people to get their hands on this game that is pretty universally beloved. I know I know, I can tell you, 
without a without a doubt. Spider-Man PS4 is phenomenal, especially the Miles Morales spin-off title. They're they're both incredibly excellent. Obviously, I'm a little biased here because you guys know I love developer Insomniac with all my heart. They're one of my all-time favorite developers. And also, I love the Spider-Man IP. So the fact that one of my favorite developers got to work with my favorite superhero and make an incredible, you know, game. Shocker. I love this game. Also, if you're an Xbox One fan and you loved Sunset Overdrive, while obviously Spider-Man is not aesthetically and tonally like Sunset Overdrive, there's a lot of that game's DNA in Spider-Man PS4. So this is the closest you're ever going to get to a sequel of Sunset Overdrive. So also, I might like to add that. I don't know. PC is in this weird space these days. I guess it always kind of has been historically with Xbox where... Sometimes PC is kind of like really relevant, like really extra relevant to the Xbox space because PC is Windows, Windows is Microsoft, Xbox is Microsoft, uh, Xbox has really robust services and platforms and, and launchers on PC and a lot of Xbox players also play PC and it's just this kind of weird thing where it's like, eh, PC news is kind of Xbox news too. So this is the closest we're going to get to playing Spider-Man PS4 on Xbox and hey, you can buy it on Steam mob the fucking hell out of it, which is going to be hilarious. I cannot wait to play as emo Spider-Man in this game. And you can use an Xbox controller while you do it. So this is really exciting news. I'm 100% going to drop $60 on this game for the second time because this game is phenomenal. And yeah, you can bet your ass we're going to play it on stream. So that's really exciting news. Next up, here's some news I know a lot of you have been waiting for. I'm, I'm, I'm excited for this news for another reason, but obviously it's just good news all around. Developer 343 Industries, and this is relayed from Windows Central, shared this week via Twitter that the Halo Infinite co-op campaign is planned to enter its flighting test in July of this year, specifically for online co-op. This means that people selected for the list of Halo Insiders will be able to test the network co-op for Halo Infinite Infinite before the feature's wide launch, which is expected in August as of now. 343 have previously indicated that the delay for it is due to the need uh, to test the game's co-op and ensure that it runs well across both Xbox Series S and S along with Xbox One and PC. So this is obviously huge news. Uh, people have been waiting for this for a while. We knew it was going to be sometime late summer, early fall, or something like that. But I think this ended up being a little earlier than a lot of people were expecting, which is very exciting. Now, I'm excited for this because this is also around the time we're hoping to get the ability for you to go back on your save file and replay levels, which I've been waiting for so I can do achievement hunting and skull collecting and all these other things. But obviously, I know there are plenty of people who, you know, for them, it's not really Halo unless you can play it with your buddies. So... This is really exciting information. So we're one step closer to Halo Infinite finally being in a proper 1.0 launch phase, all snark aside. Obviously, this is really important in terms of fleshing out the complete package of this game. And with that, we're really just waiting for a, a decent amount of robust multiplayer support like new maps. And of course, Forge Mode, which we know will be coming out probably November, December um, when Season 3 happens. So really, really exciting stuff for a lot of you guys. I know... Like I said, a lot of you are probably waiting with your buddies, foaming at the mouth to finally jump into the Halo Infinite campaign, or at least, you know, many of you probably caved by now and played it, but maybe re-jump into the campaign with a buddy and uh, and play Halo Infinite's story content, which is oh so great, easily the best part of Halo Infinite, and this time you won't have to go it alone. Next up, let's talk about the GoldenEye HD remaster, or ground up remake rather, that's been rumored for a long time, that's pretty much all but confirmed, and honestly at the time you're listening to this, it might have already been confirmed because we're probably going to see this at the Xbox Game Showcase, that is a prediction of mine, not, a, not, a, not, not some late breaking news, but GoldenEye 007's elusive HD port finally looks to be releasing after achievements were discovered on Xbox servers this past week, as shared by the internet 
champion warrior 64 twitter user who you should all follow he's wonderful get great deals and learn little bits of insight by following this man achievements for the xbox version of the classic n64 shooter appeared on microsoft servers which suggests an imminent release this was first sponsored uh, first spotted earlier the year, this year that rare developers were seemingly playing an xbox version of the fps as their progress is being logged and tracked in sites like trueachievements.com shout out to true achievements they rock last year it was confirmed microsoft had to shelve an already completed remaster of the game back in 07 following licensing issues and miscommunications between license holders and a young team who rushed ahead to create it before it was given the green light so I'm tired of talking about this. I know, I feel like it pops up like once every three or four months. I feel like we're having to talk about this. And I don't know what to say other than obviously a GoldenEye 007 remaster or remake is happening. I, I hope it's not an HD port. I really hope it is a ground up remake, but it sounds like it is probably more likely a port. But I, I, I truly think we're going to find out on Sunday. So I don't want to get too into it because this will be a pretty dated conversation real fast if, if we dig in any further than that. And then lastly, before we jump into the actual news, the, the final story I have of mild amusement or, or um, updates or whatever, uh, I guess this is kind of an update because we've been talking on, about, on and off about this game for a million fucking years because as I say every time we talk about it, this game is vaporware until Bioware can, approve, can, um, can prove otherwise. But here we are, VGC relays that Bioware have officially confirmed Dragon Age 4's name, or the next Dragon Age game, will be titled Dragon Age Dreadwolf. They said in the announcement, quote, Sol- Solus, the Dreadwolf. Some say he might be an ancient elven god, but some say not. Others say betrayer of his people or savior who now seeks to rescue them at the cost of your world. His motives are inscrutable and his methods sometimes questionable, earning him a reputation as something blah blah blah, trickster deity playing blah blah blah. Whether you're new to Dragon Age stories or you've experienced them all, using Solas's namesake no doubt suggests a spectrum of endless possibilities on where things may go. But the core is this, like the past game is is all you. If you're new to Dragon Age, you have no need to worry about having not met the antagonist just yet. He'll properly introduce himself when the time is right, but we did hint at the return when we announced the Dreadwolf Rises back in 2018. We suspect you have questions, and they'll be answered in time. While you w- while the game won't be releasing this year, we're growing closer to the next adventure. Rest assured, Solas is placing his pieces on the board as we speak. That's all we have for now. But we hope to have an official title. We hope the official title has sparked some intrigue, as we'll be talking more about it later this year. To which I have to say, no, Bioware, I have no questions. This has sparked zero interest, and I don't care. Once again, you have made a mistake in your lead up to Dragon Age 4 or Dragon Age Dreadwolf or whatever you want to call it, because this game has been rumored and then confirmed and then been teased for like seven years or some some shit like this at this point I, I swear it's been it's been at least five or six years i think seven maybe but i mean this again you don't announce the game by saying hey we're making another dragon age and then a few years later being like here's a sheet of paper with a concept art here's a fucking napkin that our concept artist drew while he was at the bar killing time after work while he waited for traffic to die down you know that's not fucking an announcement and then they're like, oh, uh, by the way, it's drag, it's National Dragon Age Day. Don't forget to dress like a Dragon Age at your favorite convention in your local city. And now, like 10 years later, they're like, oh, by the way, the game's called Dreadwolf. Listen, we know the game's in development hell. We know Bioware's a complete fucking mess of a studio where everyone keeps coming back and leaving and coming back and leaving and staying gone. 
We know that a fucking title for a game that's been teased forever and we have no concept of what it is or what it's about or what it looks like is not exciting, it is frustrating, and it is obnoxious. So, Dragon Age, politely, I know there are people who love your games. I know, you know, Dragon Age 1 and 2 and Inquisition, oh man, it has its fans. There's some division about whether or not Dragon Age 2 is good or not. I don't care. Fuck off. Go away. Do not mention Dragon Age ever again unless you are ready to drop a proper trailer. I'm not talking about CGI. I'm not talking about a fake release date that you're going to push back 10 times over. I'm talking about a gameplay trailer with a pretty firm release date and some like actual like information on the game. Give people something like show us so much of this game that there's no chance in hell that this game is vaporware or it's never coming out or it's a long ways away from being properly released. Like show us that. And if you don't have that, please fuck off because the Summer Game Fest just happened and we have a lot of actual games that are actually happening to talk about. And to my UK listeners, I'm not actually mad at Bioware. I just think they're marketing this game like shit. But guess what? It's all in the name of some lighthearted commentary about Xbox and its video games. Calm down. Please calm down. Why don't you go sit on the wrong side of your automobile and drive on the wrong side of the road, you overreactive children? But guys, that's it for all of our stories and my amusement and updates. Next, let's jump into what I've been playing this week before we get into the news. But before I can tell you about what I've been playing, let me tell you about what I've been eating. You thought maybe we dropped this segment because, oh my God, big news week. We don't have time for it. But fuck you, we have time for it because there's something happening right this minute that is more pressing than the Summer Game Fest. It is more pressing than the Xbox Bethesda Showcase. It is more impress- It is more pressing than the birth of your firstborn child, and I hope that applies to someone who's listening this week. God damn it. I'm talking about the return of Mountain Dew Typhoon. Let's rewind the clock back to 2010. Take 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 a minute to stroll down memory lane with me, guys. We're talking about the Mountain Dew democracy. And for our listeners who aren't in America or France, I guess, you might not know what a democracy is. But let me fucking tell you, it's when some geniuses come up with their own twist on the Mountain Dew formula and say this is a great alternative flavor that I think that I think the mainstream deserves to have access to. And then Mountain Dew says. Mm, we tried that flavor and we agree. So let's put it to the test. And this was a thing they did in 09 and 2010. And they grabbed these these user created and submitted flavors and they said, listen, audience, our Dew scientists and our most hardcore Dew fans have concocted amazing flavors. And each time they did the democracy, they did it two times, they would release three new flavors all at once. And you would go to the store and you'd buy the three flavors and you'd take them home and you'd test them. And then you would get on Xbox Live with your buddies and you'd play Halo or you'd play Call of Duty and you would chat about which one of these flavors is the best. And then you would go online using an actual computer, not your fucking smartphone, with your parents' permission. You'd get on the internet. It was not, it was barely not a landline at that point. And you would get on the Mountain Dew website and you would vote. In fact, in fact, the second democracy they ever did. I remember you could actually vote from the Xbox 360 dashboard. So way to tie it back to Xbox. There was literally an interactive ad on the home screen of Xbox in 2010 when when Whiteout won the Democracy Challenge against Typhoon and Distortion, which was that lime-flavored Mountain Dew. And you could literally, from your home screen, click on the ad and it would be like this little flash ad program thing and you could like read about the flavors and find out where to buy them and then vote for your favorite one. And I remember me and one of my friends would just sit there in an Xbox Live party and just vote for the same flavor over and over and over and over and over again because there was no limit on how many times you could vote to try to tilt the odds in, in the favor of our favorite flavor. Of course, back in these days, 
I was team Typhoon. My friend was on team Whiteout. Now, Whiteout ended up winning the Democracy that year, which I was very upset about. But these days, I, I actually have changed my opinion because, of course, Whiteout is my favorite Mountain Dew flavor these days. But I did love Typhoon, and my, and my, my justification for voting for it was there because it was a phenomenal tropical Mountain Dew flavor. This is before... You know, the era of 2019, 2021 Mountain Dew, where they're just like, let's literally piss in a jar, carbonate it, slap a Mountain Dew logo on it, and see if these fuckers will buy it. We're talking way before this era. This is where, back in the day, where Pepsi Company would not put out a new Mountain Dew flavor unless they had full confidence that this was a legitimate Mountain Dew branded soda and that it would represent the name well. So every flavor of Mountain Dew was at the very least good and definitely had an inherent Mountain Dew quality to it. So Typhoon was phenomenal. It was a great tropical punch Mountain Dew. I loved it so much then. I haven't had it since. I miss it every day. So right now, in the midst of all this, let's throw out different, let's steal Fanta from Coca-Cola, rebrand it as Mountain Dew, and throw it on the shelves and see if it sells. Amidst all the hustle and bustle of that shit kind of happening all the time with these crappy lemonade flavors and this crappy frostbite fucking major melon all this bullshit they're releasing they've re-released mountain dew typhoon for the first time in 12 goddamn years the only way to get it is to go to mountain dew store website and to order a special tall boy six pack it's 20 bucks after shipping it's a shit ton of money for our uk listeners 20 bucks is like saying 20 quid although it's probably a bit more expensive in the UK because I know you guys are fancier and richer than we are. But but listen here, guys. It's worth every penny. I got my six-pack this week. I got one of them in my collection, so you know I'm going to save one. And I got five in the refrigerator. Just kidding. I got four in the refrigerator because I already drank one. And let me tell you, I, I posted a meme this week on Twitter. You know that scene, in, that meme from Ratatouille where, where e, Anton Ego, the food critic, takes a bite of the Ratatouille and immediately it pulls him back to him, his childhood memories of, you know, playing in the yard, getting hurt, roughing up, whatever, coming back home and his mom's there to wipe the dirt off his shins and feed him a, a nice hearty homemade bowl of Ratatouille. I had that meme, that, that scene from the movie, that moment. I took a sip of the Typhoon and I was transported back to the year 2010 before I had shoulder hair, before... Uh, everyone I ever loved told me I wasn't worthy of their of their of their uh, of their time. And before before, I knew I loved Disney World so much that it would financially bankrupt me. This was a great time in my life, and I just felt like I was there, sitting with an Xbox 360 controller in my hands, playing Halo 3 with the buds on a fucking CRTV CRT TV because I couldn't afford an HD flat screen TV at the time. And it was just it was just such a, a nice moment to have. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is, guys, if you're an OG, if you're a real Mountain Dew fan. Why don't you go to MountainDew.com, order yourself a six-pack of Typhoon. I don't know what countries they are shipping to, but I know if you're in the U.S., you owe it to yourself to order one of these bad boys. And if you don't do it, fuck you. I'm sure I just offended a lot of British listeners because they don't use that word in their language, apparently. Although, I've seen Jeremy Clarkson on, on Top Gear. I know he's got a dirty fucking mouth. Okay, now the other thing I want to mention just real quick. Shout out to the Croissant Moon Bakery at Universal's Islands of Adventure. That's probably going to make sense to maybe one listener, maybe zero listeners. But if you know, you know. I've been eyeing this cafe, this slash bakery, for the past three years that I've been going to Universal regularly as a local. And I've always meant to stop by and never done it. And the last time I tried to stop by, it was like just after they had closed for the day. Shout out to the Croissant Moon Bakery. Annual pass discount, competitive prices, decent but not great coffee, phenomenal pastries. That almond butter croissant I had, fucking... Amazing. Universal's killing it with their quick service game. Okay. 
that's it for what I've been eating, guys. But let's real quick throw go over what I've been playing, which is nothing compared to the news we're about to get into. But yes, I've been playing a lot more Crossfire X in my free time because God hates me. Also, I've been playing I'm playing Crossfire Legion and some other shit, but we won't really get into all that too much. I do want to give a shout out to Monster Hunter Rise, which I guess I technically only played like 30 minutes of. We tried to play it on the stream this week. Uh, listener Way of the Lao was kind enough to donate and gift the game to us for the stream uh, very kindly. And so we played that this past Monday on twitch.tv slash lightningextreme. And I played a lot of this game when the demo was out on Nintendo Switch like a year ago whenever the game came out. So I was already familiar with a lot of how it felt. But shout out to the concept of taking Monster Hunter and making it more uh, more movement-based and more fast-paced with a fucking grapple hook and a wolf that you can run around the world with. That is an amazing way to bump up the Monster Hunter formula. I've only gotten to spend like 40 minutes of, of, of time with the game because my, my, my computer kept blue-screening of death while we were streaming. But, needless to say, we'll be going back to that on the stream. So, check out twitch.tv slash stream Monday nights if you guys want to hang out, play some Monster Hunter Rise. Shout out to Way of the Lao. Thank you, sir. And uh, other than that, I really haven't been playing a lot of games this week because I've been taking my online class for music theory and playing around a lot just trying to create some beats, have some fun with music again for the first time in, God, like seven years. Whatever. I'm just going through a little... I'm going, it's a phase, Mom. It will end. Please, don't judge. But guys, that's it for what I've been playing. So without further ado, we're done with all the top of the, sh the show bullshit. We're ready to get into the Summer Games Fest and the rest of the news in this really jam-packed week of Xbox content. So please, stay tuned. All right, just bear with me because I'm really not sure how the flow of this is all going to go. This is a huge hodgepodge of me just like copying, pasting links, writing excerpts, matching things together and trying to make a, some kind of coherent stack of what all just went down a few hours ago. But uh, man, I, let me preface with this because I know there's going to be a lot of hot takes around how this summer game fest went. I want to be clear, the, the host and coordinator of the event, uh, Jeff Keighley, who does the Game Awards every December, he made it pretty clear a few days ago. He was like, guys, keep your expectations in check. Keep your hype in check. I've seen people going like nuts with their theories and expectations for what this event is going to be. He's like, I want to, I want to be clear that this event is going to be largely focused on games that have already been announced and in, in second looks and gameplay reveals for games we already know about. And there will be surprises and, and announcements, but it's not going to be like, you know, he tried to temper expectations. And I feel like we need to, we need to pay attention or to the fact that, or at least just acknowledge how this plays into the ever-evolving narrative we've been going over for the longest time now because the pandemic happened. Work from home kind of really screwed up a lot of the pipeline for game development. A lot of people had to stop what they're doing, restructure, figure out how to do work from home. Some companies went back to the office, some didn't, some restructured. Lots, lots of things changed, lots of people moved around. We understand that a lot of things that were supposed to come out this year have likely been delayed due to the past two years. We're starting to see the effects of what's been going on the past few years, not just in all the other ways it was apparent, but now in terms of how it's affecting the release dates of all these games we've been either looking forward to or that developers and publishers were hoping to have announced or out or whatever by now. So 2022, as we've discussed multiple times recently, is somewhat of a barren year in terms of game announcements and game releases because of everything going on in the world. Again, I've said a million times before, I'm fine with that. There are way too many games out there already that it, that are in my backlog that I'd love to get around to. So, man, if, if if the industry just wants to agree to take five years off of releasing games, I'll be fine. I have a million things to play. But I don't know. To, to me, but 
I understand for a lot of people out there, it is disappointing that this year isn't jam-packed with things. A lot of things are delaying or slipping into next year. A lot of things just still haven't gotten dates. So I understand that as well. So I'm just introducing this idea before we jump into everything to kind of say this is a off year. This is a different year. I don't think 2022 is going to go down in history as being a particularly great year for games. Like I said, especially after what we saw today, your big, your big fall game this year is Modern Warfare 2. For me, it's Sonic Frontiers, but you know, for most, Modern Warfare 2. So understand we're going into a pretty mild, pretty dry year or fall season. And, you know, hopefully, hopefully maybe we'll be a little caught off guard this Sunday with some really exciting imminent releases from Xbox and Bethesda. But again, I doubt that as well. I think that will be a really good showcase. I think we'll finally get some release dates and gameplay for some things we've been waiting for, but I really don't expect that event either to be like, boom, here's seven games you didn't know existed and they're coming out soon. And here's 25 release dates that are within the next three months. I, mm, We'll see. But with that, with that preface out of the way, I want to start with a little comment from Kronky who wrote in after watching the Summer Game Fest with this take saying, Okay, let's post about the game fe- Summer Game Fest. Gotta say a few things. One, Callisto Protocol looks freaking awesome. Two, Witchfire stole the show. Three, I don't care if it's a CGI trailer, but Stormgate will be my game of the decade. So I wanted to read that comment now instead of after we talk about all these games just to kind of balance out the tempering of expectations and the neg- slight negativity just because whatever. Everyone is free to interpret this information, this news, however they see fit. I know for some people this is going to be a really exciting day of news. For some people it's going to be disappointing. Who cares? I just want to represent all perspectives but also just be honest and fair about the situation and the reality of where we're at right now. So that's about as much level-headedness as you'll see from me for the rest of today. Now let's jump into the news. So... I'm going to go down the line as best I can in the order in which these games were announced. But some things we're going to kind of skip over a little bit because they show up later in the news cycle. But let's start out actually first with this bit of information that happened later in the show, but is Xbox related, but isn't a video game. And then we can jump into the video games. So in the middle, middle end of the show, and I guess this was technically announced earlier in the day, but they elaborated on some news that was breaking today, which was that Xbox Game Pass will finally be coming to Samsung TVs later this month in June, Microsoft announced during the show. VGC wrote up that one year from the features announcement, you'll remember last summer they talked about this, Xbox app will launch on 2022 Samsung smart TVs in 27 countries beginning June 30th. So basically July, but whatever this month. So this will allow users to play cloud games without the need of owning an Xbox console. All you got to do is connect a controller to your new 2022 Samsung smart TV. And if you live in one of these 27 participating countries, boom, cloud streaming, Xbox Game Pass. So Xbox Game Pass Ultimate members will be able to access their favorite games from their Game Pass library using the app, while non-members will be able to play Fortnite for free. That's a huge kick uh, there is, is the Fortnite one. You got to think about like all the kids. Again, we go back to the demo conversation about all the kids who are like poor, just don't have access to that many games who like, I don't know, kids these days, like what tablets? Like imagine being like a seven year old who wants to play Fortnite, but mom and dad won't get you a tablet for your birthday or Christmas, or you don't have a video game console or mom and dad get really pissed off when you borrow their phone to play Fortnite. I don't know. I don't know what it looks like to be a kid in 2022, but you can imagine it might be nice to be able to access something as big as Fortnite for free. All you got to do is like hook up your old Xbox One controller or something like that. Whatever. It's it's just another way to get something out there into hands for low barrier entry. And uh, even if that example isn't exactly foolproof, 
it, it, it gives you a concept of how cool that is. Uh, continuing on, users will be able to connect a Bluetooth-enabled controller, such as an Xbox wireless controller or a DualSense or Amazon Luna Pad or any Bluetooth-enabled headset in a pre-briefing supplied to media outlets. Microsoft said that it was bringing the Xbox app to Samsung Smart TVs first and intending to explore other TV partnerships in the future, which we all know means that you'll probably see it on LGs and Panasonics and probably even Sony TVs into the future. Um, the quote they provided was, we're super excited that in this next step and what it means for all you gamers out there, which is the rollout we're making, which is easier than ever to play, makes it easier than ever to play games on your devices you already own. Microsoft first c confirmed plans to bring Xbox Cloud Gaming to internet-connected TVs last summer, speaking in June about how it was working on it with global TV manufacturers to embed Xbox experience directly into internet-connected TVs and building its own streaming devices. Now, I don't know if they mentioned Samsung last summer, but I'm pretty sure on the podcast i mentioned how it would probably be samsung tvs or i speculated that it would be i at least i hope that was me and that I, I didn't just hear it somewhere else and then think i said it but i remember my logic at the time was that you know xbox already has a good partnership with with samsung through through microsoft because microsoft you know when windows phone failed microsoft stores started selling samsung phones when when you know when windows phones failed Xbox, uh, Microsoft started heavily investing in Android and would use Samsung as like their their marketable uh, poster child of an Android phone. When Microsoft released their Your Phone app for Windows, which has been a pretty awesome and successful app that connects your Android device to your Windows PC and allows you to basically send text, receive calls, and use your phone mobily from your PC, they first launched it on Samsung devices, even though that was the same year Microsoft was releasing their own phone, their own Android phone, the Microsoft Surface Duo. So we've seen time and time again, Xbox has had a strong partnership with Samsung. Also, a year or two ago, didn't they do that thing where it was like they released like an Xbox edition of one of the Samsung Galaxy phones that came with a subscription to Game Pass when they first launched the xCloud app and it came with all this like Xbox-related shit. So we've seen time and time again this relationship between Microsoft and Samsung. So it should come as no surprise that Samsung TVs are the TVs that are kind of being the ones to roll out this feature. That is just what it is, but we will see it come to probably Vizios and Panasonics and all the rest as time continues. Other than that, guys, this we're getting there. We know that Xbox wants that $99 Fire Stick with a controller box that they can sell you so you can play Xbox on your TV without having to buy a console. Now we're getting TVs, smart TVs with this app enabled in it. All you need to do is own a controller. If you don't even own a video game, console all you need to do is go on amazon buy a fucking bluetooth gamepad and connect it to your tv and there you go and we're moving closer and closer into this future of the weird thing is i remember this is how people were speculating about where games were heading back in like 2013 2014 when the word was oh xbox isn't doing great microsoft might even spin off or sell off the xbox brand market analysis analysts suggest that you know playstation and xbox will both completely be out of the console market by 2020 you know 2030 2040 whatever and this is kind of the beginning of all of that speculation right about about where gaming is headed that one day it will no longer be about the box it will be about the the services the subscriptions the access to the games library the, the account xbox will be a, a service and an account, not necessarily a platform. And now, of course, Phil Spencer has in recent years spoken out about how he's like, oh yeah, the box will always exist. We always see a future where the box is an option. That might become less and less of a focus the more and more cloud streaming technology becomes ubiquitous and commonplace and fairly reliable, which it is not currently. 
Um, but, you know, early days, but you're definitely seeing the beginning of that era start to form. So really interesting stuff, but obviously this is something we've been waiting for for a while. Now it's finally happening in just a few weeks. People who are buying the latest and greatest Samsung TVs will be able to just play Xbox from their TV, or I guess they're streaming it, but you know what I mean. Not, no need to buy a Series X, no need to buy a Series S. Pretty cool shit. All right. And obviously, that is aimed more at younger gamers, light gamers, people who can't get their hands on new consoles, people who want to play Xbox games but don't necessarily want to buy an Xbox. Maybe they're on the PlayStation ecosystem or they're PC gamers. Again, this is for those people where it's like you weren't going to sell them an Xbox anyway, so get them somewhere else. And this is a good way to grow that Game Pass subscription number. You know, sell sell Xbox Game Pass to people who don't want to buy Xbox consoles. We're getting there, baby. Things are, things are changing. All right, just want to go over that. Now we're into the Summer Game Fest slew of announcements, all the big, sexy news. So again, bear with me. We're going one by one to the best of my memory um, and to the best of my organization, but it's probably not 100% perfect. Now, the first game they showed was Street Fighter VI. But we're actually going to gloss over Street Fighter VI because that's going to show up in our PlayStation State of Play news story after we go over Summer Game Fest. So we'll come back to Street Fighter VI, but this is where we got the official gameplay reveal, official gameplay trailer of the game. But we have other news to get to pertaining to this game later on in the story. So we'll skip over that for now. Put a pin in Street Fighter VI. We'll come back to that. That's pretty important for Xbox. Next, they showed Aliens Dark Descent. This game threw me for a loop. I did not expect this. At first, I thought they were coming up with DLC or a sequel to that Aliens game that came out last year. I forget, I already forget the name of it. That, like, Gears of War third-person action Aliens game. But no, this is an all-new game from Focus Home Interactive. It is a top-down, isometric, double-A-looking, Aliens, arcade kind of shooter. And I think this is, at least for someone like me, probably the coolest Aliens game I've seen in a long time. Although, I recognize... This is probably going to go down the long list of Aliens games that fans of the franchise think are bad representations of the IP. But still, it looks like it could be a fun sci-fi uh, alien shooting game. So not much to say about it. They didn't show too much gameplay. It was a little flash. It was mostly a CGI trailer. But the game is set to release sometime next year because, again, nothing can come out in 2022. But very uh, out of left field announcement. I don't think anyone saw it coming. And Aliens Dark Descent. Looks uh, looks interesting enough that I'll I'll probably want to give it a go, especially if it ends up coming to Game Pass or something at some point. But there's that. Callisto Protocol gameplay. This is okay. So this is the second thing. Callisto Protocol is another game we saw extensively at Sony State of Play last week. So we're gonna talk about it down there. But just want to obviously draw attention to this because this is one of the biggest games they showed. And this is, you know, a game that's highly anticipated. And most importantly, this is one of the only fucking games that's supposed to come out this year. We got Callisto Protocol. I think it's going to get delayed a few months, so I don't think it will be a 2022 game. But they're saying it's a 2022 game. Whatever. Modern Warfare 2, Sonic Frontiers, Batman Arkham Knights, uh, which I do think will for sure come out this year. And then Harry Potter Hogwarts Legacy, which I think will get delayed to next year. But we'll have to see about that. Especially because that wasn't shown at Summer Games Fest. You would have thought between... Sony State of Play and Summer Game Fest, you would have thought you'd see Hogwarts Legacy because that is a game that has its marketing partnership with Sony, wasn't at Sony's event, and it is also a big th third-party uh, multi-platform game that is coming out 
apparently this year. So you would think something like Summer Game Fest would be the perfect place to show it off, especially if we're supposed to be getting that game in the next four months or so. Hmm. So I don't know about that, but we'll we'll get back to the Callisto Protocol because it's obviously one of the year's bigger games. And then, and, and before we get into the next game, let me, let me say, obviously we'll get back to Street Fighter and Callisto Protocol. Those are the, really the only two we have to do this with. But so far, you're already seeing it's been smaller announcement and then updates on games we already knew about, but we're getting gameplay looks at them. So you, you see you see the, the theme that we're getting here with this event. Games we already knew about, but here's some, uh, here's some first looks at them. And this is why a lot of people, I think, are going to be underwhelmed once you see the reception to this event. But the next game is a game that's been getting technically a lot of teases and reveals over the past couple weeks, and especially over the past couple days. We haven't had a chance to talk about it since last week's podcast has gone up, but we've seen tons and tons of fucking uh, uh, news and, and teasers and trailers about this game. But now we get an official gameplay reveal for Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2's campaign. So we'll go over this now because this was not at Sony's State of Play. So we'll go over all the Call of Duty news now. There's quite a bit of it. They showed, it was like an eight-minute trailer or something like that, or or, or uh, gameplay reveal of a campaign mission where, I, I don't know, man. I, I got to be honest. I'm very much looking forward to Modern Warfare 2. It's my most anticipated game of the year aside from Sonic Frontiers, which I know to a lot of you is like, what is, fuck you, who cares? <laughs> That's not saying much. But to me, these are games I'm really looking forward to. I feel like the two reveals we've had for Modern Warfare 2 this week have not been incredibly successful at showing what's going to make this game special. I have a strong feeling that this is going to be a really good Call of Duty game. You know, Modern Warfare 2019 had an excellent campaign. It had really good multiplayer that definitely was a little undercooked when it first came out, but it got better and better as time went on. And I think with them going all out on this game and really trying to drive home that, like, this is the next era of Call of Duty and we're going to give it two years to shine instead of just one. And, you know, I, I feel like they're really trying to make sure that this is the most successful Call of Duty we've seen in a decade plus. And I, I just have high expectations for this. You can tell with the way they're announcing it way earlier than previous games, the way they're really driving the marketing home. They're really ready to get away from games like Vanguard. They're really excited to get all in on games like this. And obviously we're getting Warzone 2, which they're really excited about as well. But we have some news along with this. Um, they said that when the game launches, it will come with multiplayer campaign and a Spec Ops mode, which is pretty much like the Spec Ops mode from Modern Warfare 2 circa 2009. So that'll be exciting to see that return. Obviously, no Zombies mode, which is a big bummer for gamers like myself who think Zombies is the superior Call of Duty mode, but obviously that's a Treyarch feature, not an Infinity Ward feature, so it's no surprise that we're not getting Zombies here. Although, you know, I wouldn't mind some Zombies. Um, whatever, let it breathe for a while. Um, also, the game, of course, as we all know, is confirmed to be coming out October 28th. That was already announced, and... Here is the big kicker. Uh, no, not the big kicker, but like the the news drop surrounding what we learned this this week about Modern Warfare 2. The campaign promises a globe-trotting operation spanning missions in Europe, Asia, and the Americas. Now, that's a little different from what we were hearing in rumors. We were hearing that it was supposed to take place in Colombia, fighting like some drug cartel. Maybe that is the synopsis, but it's not going to all be in, uh, in Colombia, although it looks like we'll probably get some levels and some scenes in in south america because it says europe asia and the americas not just north america so hey in continuing on it the game will include offshore sieges which will include underwater combat and all explosive assaults three th sorry thirty thousand feet um 
above enemy strongholds. And then also there's a, a new feature they're they're touting where you'll be able to basically like grapple down from like ceilings and stuff and be able to fire and control your gun upside down. Although we didn't really see that in the uh, the extended gameplay trailer. We just saw it kind of in the teaser. So we don't really know what that looks like, but obviously they're trying to push forward the physics and the gameplay a little bit of the game, trying to spice it up that way. Um, and then, of course, Warzone 2.0 is set to launch at the beginning uh, when the game comes out on October 28th, which is different from the last Warzone, which released um, months after Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2019 came out. Additionally, uh, they also announced that the gunfight mode that was introduced and popularized in Modern Warfare 2019 will actually be releasing later. It will not launch with the game. And then finally, we know that the game will launch at $70. Unlike the past two years of Call of Duty game, every version of the game will be $70. When Black Ops Cold War and Vanguard came out, Xbox One versions of the game were $60. PC versions of the game were $60. It was next-gen versions on Xbox Series X and PS5 that were $70. Now, every version is $70 across the board. Fuck you. They'll probably use gas prices as an excuse but it's just because greed. Although, honestly, I don't personally have an issue with games costing $70, especially for games like Modern Warfare 2, which you're probably going to get more than $70 worth of entertainment out of. But, you know, there's a whole... I understand where people are on that. Um, we're not going to get into the pricing debate right now. But yeah, so we know the pricing, we know the release date, we know the platforms. There's also a fucking $100 version of the game if you want to get some extra bullshit along with your Battle Pass. Well, not we don't need to get into that. But that's all the Call of Duty news that's pertinent enough for us to get into in, de- in depth. Let's talk about this gameplay reveal. I I personally feel like we didn't get to see this game's best foot forward. It felt like it was just more of Call of Duty 2019. And I know, I know all the Call of Duty naysayers listening to this podcast right now are like, but Jesse, that's been Call of Duty for the past blah, blah, blah years. This is why Call of Duty is so lame. This is why Call of Duty needs to fuck off. Call of Duty was never good. Call of Duty has been bad for so long. Call of Duty should just go away for 10 years. Blah, 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 blah. Shut up. Shut up. Shut up. Shut up. Shut up. Call of Duty makes way too much fucking money for Activision to take your awesome armchair advice of fucking off for 10 years because you personally are tired of Call of Duty. Shut up. Modern Warfare 20, Modern Warfare 2 is going to be, by and large, the best-selling game of the year by, by a shit ton. I'm talking about way outselling um, Elden Ring, which is selling incredible and is currently the best-selling game of the year. So, shut up. But Modern Warfare 2, I, I got to be honest, it, I, I was expecting it to look like, whoa, this is like, oh, yeah, it captures the excitement, and the energy of like, 09 Modern Warfare 2, that's what they were going for. But to me, it looks good. I, I, I'm excited to play it. I knew I was looking forward to this game, but it just looked like more Call of Duty. You would think with all this touting of like the upside down mechanic and the water mechanic and all the new vehicle mechanics, apparently like it has the ability for you to just basically hijack any car when you're in an environment where there are automobiles laying around. It's like this stuff's really, really open ended and really new for Call of Duty. Like these are cool features. Why would they not have chosen to show a level that showcases some of these features? Instead, they showcase a pretty standard Call of Duty level where you're on some fucking rig out in the ocean and you're tactically with your squad trying to like peek around the corner, kill that guy, watch your step, throw in a tactical grenade, whatever. It's like, eh, this is like a Call of Duty we've seen a million times. I understand the focus of the gameplay effort, uh, um, gameplay reveal for them, they said, was to show off the new squad. Ghost is here, uh, Soap is here, all the guys, some new guys. We got a guy with a, a new name and all these things. So like, ah, here's the team. But like, Dude, if you want to sell the game, 
No one gives a shit about the team. Show us, show us the cool gameplay. And I feel like they kind of failed to do that. But the game doesn't look bad. I mean, I'm still going to buy it day one because I'm a piece of shit. But um, I don't know. I just uh, I feel like they didn't put their best foot forward here. Also, can someone clarify for me? Everyone's like making a big deal about this character Ghost being in the game. Listen, I played the old Modern Warfare games, or at least one and two, but I was always more of a Black Ops guy. Like I know like Reznov and Raul Menendez and Hudson and Mason and Woods. Like these are my Call of Duty characters. I know. I don't remember Ghost being a character from Modern Warfare one and two. Is Ghost literally a character from Call of Duty Ghosts? So like, what what is that? Are they bringing that universe into the, like? How does that work? Can someone answer that question for me? Um, and then finally, uh, the game will be getting a public beta. If or they call it a public beta, it's not really a public beta. You have to pre-order the game to get the beta, and obviously because of the marketing tie-in, it will be available first on PlayStation, which generally means there'll be a weekend where PlayStation gamers get it, and then the following weekend there'll be another beta where everyone gets access to it. So pre-order if you want to play the beta. Why not? You're gonna buy the game anyway. Most of you will. I know I will. So let's. Just uh, accept the inevitable and buy Modern Warfare 2. But no, I think, all in all, I'm excited for the game. It's, it's again, like I said, it's going to be, in my, in my opinion, I think this is probably going to be one of the more notable games of the year, especially with so little else happening. But that was Call of Duty. I'm sure we'll see a lot more of that in the coming months as we lead up to the October release date. God, that game's coming out in what? October, uh, June, July, August, September. October. Yeah, like four months, whatever. Next, they showed Flashback 2, which I'm not going to sit here... In lie to you guys. Flashback is a game I only know of in name. I've never played Flashback. I have no nostalgia for it. I have no story with it. This is not a game that means anything to me, really. But they announced after 30 years, Flashback is finally getting a sequel that will arrive this winter. Again, I, I don't know much about Flashback. This this does this is really just a name for me. But it's being developed by uh, what is it? Who? Microids, and um, it looks like a like a. 2.5D side-scrolling action kind of game. Um, it looks cool. It looks a little like, you know, near-future cyberpunk-esque. Um, it looks like something I would definitely give a try to, but I don't know. This didn't really do a whole lot for me, but game's supposedly coming out this winter. They tried to make a big deal about it. I don't. This is one where, it, you know, this is one of those situations where if we had, you know, someone with a different taste of gaming as a co-host, maybe we'd have more to say. But I personally have nothing to add to the conversation on this one. And unfortunately, that might be the case for a couple of these games. But I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm not going to try to dick you around with uh, takes on games I don't really have takes for. Next, and this is where I don't know if I'm jumping around pop probably or not. But this is close enough to the order it happened. I want to talk about this game. This is the game that, to me, was by far far the most interesting game revealed at the event and this goes back to Cronky's comment which kind of alluded to this he says Witchfire stole the show I agree our next game we're going to talk about is Witchfire now I don't know if this game was apparently already in some capacity announced because the few articles I'm finding on the game talk about it as if they already knew about the game but for whatever reason most outlets are leaving this news out out of their, like, you go to any of these major outlets, they're not writing about this game. They're not including it in, like, the posts that are, like, all the news announced at Summer Games Fest. People are just completely avoiding talking about this game. I don't understand why. I don't know if maybe, like, the creator of the game said something that was misconstrued as, like, homophobic or something on Twitter, and then all the San Francisco coffee house MacBook typing games journalists were like, oh my god, we need to boycott Witchfire, the video game. Like, I, I don't... Like, I honestly don't know why all these websites have opted out of covering this game, even though it was 
a part of the show. But thanks to GameSpot for being like the only fucking outlet to write an article on it. We have something here to pull from and go off of. But this to me was by far, without a doubt, the most exciting game they showed today. Um, again, I don't know if this was already announced in some capacity. This is coming off completely new to me. But this game looks fucking phenomenal. They are uh, touting it as like a dark fantasy first-person shooter set in a alternate, like, it, it kind of looks like a medieval-esque world where magic exists, like a fantasy world. And normally that's not my setting, but here's the catch. Here's the fucking catch. It is developed by Polish studio The Astronauts, which you might know as the developers of The Vanishing of Ethan Carter, which is one of those quote-unquote walking simulator type games that came out. Man, that game's probably like seven years old at this point. Um, I never played that game. I always wanted to, so I can't speak to it, but I, I you know, tw- yeah, it came out like 2014-ish. And um, I know it's one of those like story-driven walking simulator type games that a lot of people hate on, but I actually love those kinds of games. I never played it, can't speak to it, but apparently that developer, this is the first game they've made since then, have hired on a bunch of talent, a lot of which are key people that used to work at developer People Can Fly. Now, People Can Fly, of course, are the developers behind the more recently released um, uh, Outriders, which came out last year, launched in the Game Pass. But for me, more importantly, these guys helped co-develop some of the later Gears of War games, and most importantly, created two of my favorite FPS games, Painkiller on the PC and Bulletstorm, which was a Xbox 360 game, uh, later re-released on the Xbox One. I fucking love these games, especially Bulletstorm. That's a game I never played back when it first came out. I actually fell in love with it for the first time last year. And my God, Bulletstorm is one of the most underrated, criminally underrated action FPS games I've ever played in my entire life. What a phenomenal game. In this game, Witchfire oozes Bulletstorm DNA. It is so obvious. It wears that DNA on its fucking sleeve. This game looks incredible. In fact, I have to watch through this gameplay as I speak to you about it because it looks incredible. Dude, you got this guy. He's got like a fucking six shooter. He looks like a goddamn cowboy, like a fucking arcane magic wielding cowboy with these awesome fucking weapons. Kind of reminds me artistically of that game um, that High Voltage Software was supposed to make after the Conduit 2 but never released. What it was called? Whatever. It was supposed to be that like fucking Left 4 Dead type co-op game where you fight like vampires and zombies and shit man this game kind of looks like that spiritually but with bullet storm like it's a first person shooter you're fighting demons you're slashing around and moving around the map like in doom you got magic so you can just like fucking shock enemies and go crazy on them but it also has a lot of like movement maneuverability mechanics where you can like quickly strafe out of enemy fire to dodge things you can slide and do awesome movement stuff this game looks so incredibly badass i cannot like I cannot emphasize my enthusiasm and excitement for this game anymore. The unfortunate part is it doesn't look like it's announced for Xbox or at least as of yet. It was announced as a PC game. It's being developed in Unreal Engine 4 for the PC. It will be available in Epic Game Store and I think also Steam, but they did not say anything about consoles. I'm hoping beyond all hope that this game comes to consoles because I would fucking love to play this on my Xbox and to unlock achievements for it and to be able to show my future children, look, daddy unlocked achievements for uh, for Witchfire on Xbox Series X all the way back in 2023. I want to be able to say that one day, but I don't know if that's going to be happening. But guys, for the love of fucking Christ, do not sleep on this game. This game looks so goddamn cool. Now, they're saying as far as release that it's supposed to come out in quarter four of this year. I don't believe that for shit because I don't believe release dates. But 
That's what they're aiming for. You can already add the game to your wish list in the Epic Game Store. And when it releases later this year, apparently, allegedly, it is supposed to be an early access. So another thing to keep in mind, it's not going to just release as a proper full-fledged game, which all this information basically tells me, listen, these guys are an indie dev. They're kind of strapped for cash. They're on a budget. They got to do the early access route. They got to do the, you know, whatever. So it makes sense. You know, they probably got a good deal doing with Epic. They get to keep a bigger cut of their profits with Epic, all these things, whatever. That being said, this game looks so fucking cool. Guys, let's fucking buy 10 copies each of this game on PC. You can tell them we want this game so that they port it over to Xbox and then we can buy 10 more copies on Xbox and then you'll all write in and be like, Jesse, you were right. Sonic Frontiers is the greatest game of 2022. Also, Sonic Unleashed is the best game of 2008. Also, you were right. All the new Mountain Dew flavors suck, but Typhoon is awesome. Let's pretend to be kids again and act like the latest and greatest album on the market is Census Fail's 2010 hit, The Fire, featuring opening title track, The Fire, which was a fucking awesome intro track. But, Jesse, that's beside the point. We're getting back into the news, but that's, that's Witchfire. I can't wait to play this game. I am just over the moon this is this is the game announcement for me that comes out during this e3 summer game announcement type time frame where i'm like didn't know that game existed wasn't expecting that game now i need to play it this is that game for me so i'm very much looking forward to this title but with that said let's move on to the next one because i don't think i have much else to add to it other than hey daddy's excited Let's move into two games that were announced back-to-back and have a very similar atmosphere and tone, although they are technically not similar games. The first one is Fort Solace, which is kind of a weird one. It's being developed by a new dev team called Fallen Leaf, and it will star famous gaming voice actors Troy Baker and Roger Clark. Troy Baker, of course, has been in pretty much every game you've ever played, mostly known for, like, Last of Us and stuff like that, and Roger Clark, uh, who was in Red Dead Redemption 2. So, serious voice talent. They had these guys literally come out on stage to announce this game, but the weird thing is they uh, they kind of announced it almost in, in, in position, it almost as if they were saying like, yeah, Troy Baker and Roger Clark developed this new game, but that's not at all true. Um, this new studio, Fallen Leaf, are the ones developing it, um, but it's just kind of weird the way they announced it. I guess they're using the, the acting talent to kind of push it. Obviously, that makes sense, but they're tending this game as like a, uh, a brief sci-fi thriller. It seems like it's very narrative-based. It's very maybe like walking sim like but it takes place on like i think it's a space station um it's got some spookiness and horror elements to it but they're not identifying it as a horror game they're identifying it as a thriller i think it looks cool i definitely want to play this for sure if this ends up being like one of those 20 30 dollar walking simulator type two hour experiences 100 percent, you got my money count me in I'm, I'm down for this but it was one of those things, like, for whatever reason, I just feel like I couldn't get enough from this trailer for me to be like, oh, yeah, that's that's a thing I need to do. Again, not sure that that's even coming to console. They only announced it for Steam. But, again, we're, I, I, this is why I started at the top of the show with this whole Spider-Man thing. We're in this weird situation with, game, with Xbox where the system and the platform and the services are so fluid between brands. And there's so much history and linearity and parity between pc and xbox to begin with that i don't know i feel like pc news is kind of xbox news so fuck you it's justified i don't have much else to say that game other than i i would like to get a more in-depth look at it and if it is what i assume it will be i I think it's something i'm interested in but they didn't really have they didn't have a release date for it but that's fine we don't need one whatever nothing's coming out this year so next up they re-revealed a game that was initially announced in 2012 literally a game that was announced 10 years ago disappeared and now it's coming back and this game is called routine and here's the big kicker 
the game is an Xbox exclusive, or at least when it comes out, it will be an Xbox exclusive. So the game is, sorry, I don't know if I already said this. Routine is a sci-fi horror game. So very similar aesthetic, at least, to the game we were just fucking talking about with Fort Solace. But now the routine is is carrying out and continuing this uh, sci-fi rooted um, games showcase that we're, we're starting to see. The game is Xbox exclusive. It's coming to PC, Xbox One, Series X and S, and it will be available in Game Pass when it launches. Um, it is set to... They, they don't have a release date for it yet, but the game was originally announced in 2012. So the fact that they're re-revealing it 10 years later and they still don't have a release window uh, makes me a little bit, I don't know, cautious, I guess. But the game is designed around this permadeath mechanic. It's a first-person horror game in this abandoned lunar base um, and it's supposed to be like this 1980s version of the future which is cool um, I like everything I'm hearing about this this game except the permadeath thing I, I'm curious as to what that means is this going to be like that Nintendo Wii U game that came out back in 2012 as a launch game called Zombie U is it supposed to be like that where it's like oh yeah your character is kind of identityless, and if they die that then you had to assume some other character and go find your old character that died and pick the items off their back and continue on where they left off. And, and that's how you play the game. Is, is, is that what they mean by it? But I don't know. I'm moderately interested in this game. Um, it's cool that Xbox is getting another one of these like exclusive games. I, I assume a lot of what that has to do with is that the developer, UK based developer, Lunar Software, the, uh, Employees of which are probably a little offended by this podcast. Just kidding. Um, but Lunar Software and indie publisher Raw Fury probably aren't entirely loaded. And it, they're taking some money from Xbox to get this thing across the finish line. And that's why it's going to be console exclusive and come to uh, Game Pass. But, dude, it looks cool. Like, I'm, I'm watching the trailer again right now. And this whole, like, you know, like, camcorder filmed kind of, like, retro 80s look on top of this, like, abandoned lunar base with this robot that just has these fucking creepy eyes and got like these these this death stare he gives him it's cool shit visually the game looks stunning 100 percent, this is a game I, I i would like to give a try to but i just feel like knowing that this is a re-reveal of a game that was announced 10 years ago and i went back and i rewatched or i watched the trailer from 2012 when it was first initially announced a lot of it looks the same it looks like conceptually it's the same the weaponry looks the same whatever that item he's holding is the logo looks the same. A lot of the space station looks the same. It looks like they are literally picking up where they left off, but with modern technology, the game looks a lot more pretty visually than it did 10 years ago. I just wonder if this is something that we can safely get excited about because it's, again, it's a re-release or it's a re-reveal of a game from 10 years ago. And you got to wonder how did this developer and this publisher survive these past 10 years, you know, working on this and not having it out the door. But, um, I don't know. It's, it is cool and exciting to see. I guess my concern is it's like we see PlayStation get these like, whoa, unexpected exclusivity. It's like, whoa, Final Fantasy 16. That's going to be exclusive to PlayStation 5. That's a big get. But with Xbox, it's things like the medium, you know, where it's like, oh, wow, Xbox is going to get this exclusive game from this third party developer. What is it? Oh, it's it's called the medium. It's from Bloober. And then, you know, it's, it comes out. It's a pretty solid game. It's fine for what it is. But let's be honest, it's not, you know, it's not the the next big game. They don't, they don't, we just don't see a whole lot of that from Xbox. So I see this game and it shows great. It reveals great. It looks cool, but you know, you learn about the history of what this game was and kind of it's troubled development and everything. And you're like, huh, is this just, is, will this just end up being another one of those games where it's like not a whole lot of people talk about it. There's not a lot of hype around it. When it comes out, it'll just kind of come and go. And 
it's in Game Pass, you know, or will this be like a pretty cool exclusive get for Xbox? And I don't know. I, I it just I would like to see something a little more with a little more of a built-in like, whoa, they got that game. But still, this game looks cool. I'm going I'm going to play it if it comes out, and uh, I am excited to learn more about it. This is my kind of horror game, sci-fi baby. But yeah, so that is that game. Now, continuing on, getting away from the thriller, horror, space sci-fi theme and trying to get into something else, we'll stick with sci-fi, but we will get into an RTS game. Now, this this is actually quite big news. So, Stormgate was revealed and announced for the first time, which is a brand new real-time strategy game, an RTS, from developer Frost Giant Studios, which is a new development team comprised of X Blizzard employees. These are people who worked on StarCraft, the beloved real-time strategy game. So this is kind of timely for me to be getting into, for me to be learning about this now, because uh, as I mentioned, the one I've been playing, I've been playing a lot of Crossfire Legion re- recently, which is this brand new uh, RTS available on Steam set in the Crossfire universe. I love real-time strategy games. I'm not particularly good at them, uh, but it's this genre of games where every every couple of years I'll find one, I'll play a bunch of it, I'll love it, and then I'll move on. You know, I love Halo Wars. I, I really am enjoying Crossfire Legion quite a bit. I really like the Command and Conquer series. I, I, I'm a fan. I, I liked the old Warcraft and Star, old Warcraft games before WoW when it was an RTS franchise. I, I enjoy a good real-time strategy game, but the thing is, and, and Kronky is a bigger fan of this, so he he talks to me about it. How the the real-time strategy fan community is always up in arms. They're always looking for the next big game because this genre has kind of fallen to the wayside just a bit, you know, in the wake of like the MOBA genre and just free-to-play games blowing up on PC and things like that. The genre isn't as big as it used to be, and the community is always arguing over, you know, what's going to be the game to topple StarCraft II, which is basically seen as the last truly great real-time strategy game. And God, that game came out in like, what, 09, 2010? So it's, it's quite old at this point. And... So for those developers to be forming a new studio, they left Blizzard, they're working on an all-new RTS, there's going to be a lot of fanfare, a lot of expectation, and a lot of excitement garnered around this game in particular. And so this is actually quite a big announcement. Now, unfortunately, the announcement showed no gameplay. It was just a a CG teaser trailer, but they said you, you can go on the website now and register. They said there's going to be a beta in 2023, so obviously we're a ways off from this game coming to fruition, but... I think this is going to be, you know, a provider that can pull it off. A game that just garners quite a bit of attention because of who's making it, because it, it, it's a big entry in a genre that is otherwise just not been given the love that it once once had. And so I think a lot of eyes are going to be on this game. Now, again, we're in the situation of it is a PC game. They did not confirm anything about console. I doubt it will be on console because RTS games are almost always PC exclusive with the exception of like Halo Wars, basically. So we'll have to wait and see, but I know that's a big big one. A lot of people are probably really excited about that. Um, so definitely want to continue to keep an eye on. Also, maybe if this game ends up coming out and being huge, it, it will maybe light a fire under Blizzard's ass. And now under the ownership of Microsoft, maybe we will get a proper StarCraft 3. So, hey, maybe that could come to Xbox. So that'd be fucking awesome. Next up, they announced Goat Simulator 3. I have nothing to say about this at all. Goat Simulator is a game that was cute and fun when it first came out back in, like, what, 2014? It seems like that's a reoccurring thing. A lot of games from 2014 are getting sequels and new entries and re-releases right now. But 
you know, I, 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 I don't know. I feel like this was a fun one-off game, and I guess they just have to keep taking it further and further. This crazy, wacky, physics-based knockoff or knockoff, but goofy game, goof-off game, where you just play as a goat and do crazy shit. And it's a physics game, and you can just attach rocket launchers and do stupid shit. But I just don't necessarily see the need for another one of these. Although there must be a pretty big audience for them. I guess if they're going out with a third, I didn't even really remember there being a sequel. But it's supposed to come out this fall. And you can wishlist it now. It will come to Xbox and PC. Um, but I have I have no enthusiasm or interest or anything to add to that whatsoever. And now from here on out for the rest of the show, basically until the end, we really don't get anything else that I'm super excited to talk about. So we are going to move at a faster clip at this point. Uh, because I think the really exciting stuff is over at this point. But next up, the game they showed afterwards was um, High Water, which is being developed by Rogue Games. This is this is the first time we're seeing this game, I believe. And they're, they're labeling it as a climate catastrophe game set in a flooded world, which I think is kind of a cool game, a cool idea for a game. This is a obviously an indie game. It has that kind of cel-shaded indie art style that you, you just see all the time these days. Um, the trailer doesn't show a terrible amount. You know, there's this guy, he's in his little canoe traversing this world. I'm actually interested in this game from a synopsis standpoint, um, but I, I I really dislike the art style. This is a problem I have with so many indie games. I feel like they always do this fucking crossy roads, cel-shaded, simplistic art style, which I understand it's probably cost-effective. It makes it easier to do. And, you know, it's a good way to make a good-looking game without a big budget. I get that. But man, I just really dislike this uh, this aesthetic for games. But the game sounds interesting, and I want to hear about it. The problem is the the trailer shows so little. I don't know. Is it an action game? Is it more of a walking simulator? Is it highly narrative driven? Is it more you know like what is it? And they just we didn't get a whole lot from there. All we know is it's apparently coming out this holiday or this year. They just say 2022. And uh, as far as platforms, they just didn't even announce. So I assume it will be on console and PC, but. I don't know. The only reason I really take interest in this to begin with is because actually one of my last few semesters of college, um, for those who don't know, I was a literary major. Um, we we did like a little, I don't know, I, I was never expecting to learn about this. So it was kind of, I, I found it quite interesting, but we did a little, a uh, couple months reading some, exploring the genre of climate fiction and reading some climate fiction novels. And we read this book called Odds Against Tomorrow, which is actually a relatively recent book. It's only been published in like the past 10 years or so uh, by author Nathaniel Rich. I actually found this book to be quite compelling. I really loved the idea of this this type of fiction where it's just like these odd kind of dystopian uh, stories of people like just surviving in this like post-apocalyptic world where, you know, the tones and the themes of the of the novel always tie back to you know, the era of mankind, it's commentary on global warming and, you know, climate change and all these things. Um, I I found it quite interesting. I really enjoyed that book in particular. And this game gave me serious vibes and felt reminiscent of that novel. So I think that's really the only reason why I'm taking to it. I just, um, again, it's just, it's this trailer where you see a little cel-shaded indie character in this little yellow speedboat just traveling around a flooded world and you don't see much else. You just see that People are just stranded on these little islands. Places are overrun and just post-apocalyptic, torn down looking. And it's cool, but like, what is the game? So 
I'll be interested to keep an eye on it, but that's not necessarily something I'm like clamoring to learn more about. Uh, next, they showed Marvel's Midnight Suns, which we have already known about for a while. But this is the first, you know, we got another cinematic, um, another cinematic <laughs> trailer instead of gameplay, uh, which is kind of weird because they did confirm that it's supposed to come out this year, although they didn't give a specific release date. But in all fairness, the the trailer that they did show was quite cool. It shows Venom. It shows Doctor Strange. It shows Spider-Man, all the character art styles are really wacky and zany and look like, kind of awesome and very unique. Um, and also they announced that Yuri Lowenthal will be reprising his uh, role as Spider-Man. He was the voice actor of Spider-Man in the PlayStation 4 game. And he will be playing him in this game, although they did make it clear it's not the same Spider-Man. They just happen to get the same voice actor. It would be as if they got Tobey Maguire to voice this Spider-Man. But we're like, it's not Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man. We just got Tobey Maguire to voice Spider-Man for redundancy's sake. I don't know. I think it's kind of cool. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this game continues to be a game that I cannot make a judgment on because they just won't show us the fucking game. I'm pretty sure it's not going to be my kind of game. From my understanding, it's basically Marvel XCOM. And I know people love XCOM, but that's just not my thing. I've always been meaning to give Gears Tactics a try because I understand that's kind of XCOM-like. But man, I just, I don't know. This, this genre really really turns me off so they they say it will come out this year they say it'll be on series x and s and pc and all that but um i don't know i just don't i know people really love developer for axis i have a lot of faith that this game will be good i just can't get excited for it because it's apparently coming out in the next couple months and we still don't really know what the game looks like but i know a lot of people are probably interested in it marvel's a big brand it sells well uh so maybe some of you guys are looking forward to that i don't know Next up, they showed another trailer for Cuphead, The Delicious Last Course, which I still feel stupid about because I only recently found out the last time they showed this game at an event that The Delicious Last Course is a cute play on words because it's DLC. It's downloadable content. Delicious Last Course. Very funny. The DLC is coming out in a few weeks on June 30th, 2022. But again, much like the original Cuphead, I'm so fucking tired of seeing ads in seeing this or not ads but seeing this game show up at these um game events because it's like yeah i know we've known about this dlc for like five years we get it but it's almost out the door finally i get it one last mark one last marketing push before the release and i really do admire and respect cuphead for the art style and what they're able to pull off of this i just cuphead from a gameplay perspective just doesn't do it for me so Nothing I'm necessarily looking forward to, but obviously Cuphead is a big game for the Xbox audience, and I'm sure many of you will be excited to jump back into it with some more content. Now, next up, they showed Neon White. And I gotta be honest with you, I was at work trying to watch the event at this point, and I was having a hard time being able to give it all my undivided attention. But from what I saw of this game, and I tried to go back and rewatch the trailer. In fact, I'm running in the background right now while I talk to you. This game looks kind of cool <laughs> despite the fact that it's a very like anime looking game that's not a very jesse thing although i don't really get what it is because it looks kind of like a persona game but what really gets my interest in it is it has like these first person blaster shooting moments which are like okay that's really cool but then it has like this card battle kind of thing going on with it and like this more third person stuff and i just don't know what to make of this game i don't know apparently this game's been announced for a while but I, I cannot figure it out. I know it's a single-player, card-based, first-person game. But they say, I, I don't know, it, it, what is it supposed to be? It's coming out in actually just a week. It comes out on June 16th. So we'll be able to see videos and reviews for it soon. 
but um, the game is only coming out to st- to PC and Switch, so not terribly relevant for Xbox players. So I won't get into it too much. But uh, yeah, it's an Annapurna game. So, but yeah, I I don't want to linger on games that aren't really Xbox centric at all. Um, but they showed it. It looks cool. It looks weird. Uh, I, I'm curious to see what that pans out to be. But next, they showed Midnight Flight Express, which is coming to Xbox and PC as well. This game is a new single-person developed team in Poland. I don't understand how these games happen, where someone creates an entire game by themselves. But we see it happen from time to time, and it always blows me away that someone can do everything from the story, the concept, the de- the programming, the art, the music, every bit of it to get all by them. Whatever. It makes no sense to me. This game, although uh, I am quite impressed that it's a one-man game, it did absolutely nothing for me. It looks like an isometric beat-em-up game with a little bit of twin-six shooter in it, and you would think that would be like right up my alley, but for whatever reason, I don't know if it's art style or what, this game just did not grab me in any way whatsoever, although I do think it looks highly impressive. It's not like it was made by like just one indie developer. It's made by co-writer of Destiny 2, The Witch Queen, and the stuntman. Okay. There's some weight behind it. But anyway, Midnight Fight Express, it looks like a uh, looks like it'll probably be a decent time for some for for those looking for that top down isometric twin stick experience. It looks pretty action oriented, which I do admire. Um, and it comes out pretty soon. It'll be out on August 23rd. So apparently that's not the first I think this is the first time it's been shown, but uh looks like I don't know. I don't really have much to add to this. Cyberpunk setting, twin stick shooter. American Arcadia was the next game shown. This game I do find actually pretty interesting. Apparently it was announced a few months ago. I knew nothing about it, but this actually looks like another one of those walking simulator type games, but in like a 2.5D setting, kind of like um, like Limbo. So there's probably some like puzzle solving in it, but it's cool. It's got like this uh, throwback 1970s era aesthetic, and it's like this guy running through this weird town where there's like surveillance systems everywhere and uh i don't know i don't know what to make of the story based on the trailer but it looks like it's one of those like conspiracy all is not what it seems kind of like uh what's that what's that fucking movie with jim carrey called oh yeah the truman show it has like it has like a truman show kind of vibe to it which is uh a little weird but i i don't know this game kind of interests me it's it still has that obnoxious uh soul shaded indie game art thing but that aside, I, uh, I'd like to see a longer, more story-based trailer of this game because I feel like this is something I would actually play. I like the the Vice City kind of like car chase scene, although I don't know if that's gameplay or, or just video. But yeah, we'll, uh, I'll definitely be keeping an eye out on this one for further updates. The next they showed, and hey, this is uh, Game Pass news, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Shredder's Revenge. We got a new trailer for it. This game was announced last year. It will be coming to Game Pass when it releases. And it has six-player co-op. The game releases next week on June 16th, so pretty shortly here you'll be able to play it. I'll, I'll, da- I'll download this and give it a try. I don't really have any nostalgia or, or reference with the old TMNT arcade games or NES games, but this game does look cool. I like the sprite art quite a bit. I really respect that they're keeping that classic sprite art look. They're not just doing like a cartoony look or something a little cheaper. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm definitely interested to give this one a go. Uh, and it will be on Game Pass next week, guys, so look forward to that. Next, they went over some stuff with Warframe, which I don't care about. They showed a new One Piece game, which I sure as hell don't care about. We're not going to get into that. 
weeby ass shit. And then they showed another trailer for Gotham Knights, which again, we don't, we've seen so much of that extensively recent as of recent that we don't need to get into that again. Again, we will see that in just a few months when it releases. So again, you're seeing more and more of this. Here's another look at a game we already knew about. Here's an extended look. Here's a gameplay reveal. Here's another look. So they also showed a trailer for Layers of Fear, which are the next Layers of Fear game from Bluebird Team. Speaking of Bluebird Team, we were talking about them earlier. Uh, it's the next horror entry in the Layers of Fear series set to arrive in 2023 next year, earlier in the year, which is weird because that means it will be coming out around Callisto Protocol and Dead Space Remake, but seems like kind of a crowded time for horror. Also, I think some of these Resident Evil games we're about to talk about will be in that time period, but Layers of Fear, pretty popular, um, you know, smaller indie style horror series that that Bloober team is kind of known for. So got another trailer for that. I have nothing to add to that. Bloober team just doesn't do it for me. I, I tried to get into the medium, didn't do it for me. This game looks like more of that kind of stuff. I'm sure there's a big audience that, or a reasonable audience that loves these games. But for me, I'm, I don't care. Speaking of things I, I do care about, next they showed another trailer for Warhammer 40k Dark Tide. Now, this is a game that was announced at the Xbox Summer event two years ago. It's like a Left 4 Dead style um, four-player co-op kind of game, action game, uh, with guns and melee weapons, and it's got like a sci-fi setting. This game looks so cool. Please, for the love of God, make this game be good. I know it's going to be a little budgy, a little double A, which I'm cool with. I love that shit. But, like, make it be one of those really good ones, you know, being developed by Fat Shark, which are basically the Warhammer developers at this point. Uh, the game will be out on Xbox and Windows uh, shortly on September 13th. And it's a Game Pass game, as was promised two years ago when they first announced it. I'm still looking forward to this game quite a bit. This will definitely be my my big late summer game that that I, I'm, I'm looking forward to trying. I hope it doesn't disappoint, but yeah, this is probably the last time I'll really see anything on it before it releases, and uh, I cannot wait to get my hands on it. Next up, they went into a bunch of PlayStation stuff with The Last of Us, so we don't have to talk about that. And then they talked about this game called... I, I have no idea what to make of this. Now, this was announced, I think, at the Game Awards, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but this game, Nightingale, it's this, uh, I don't know, I think they showed, like, a tonal piece for it at the Game Awards, if I'm not mistaken. But it's this, like, shared world survival crafting game. It's uh, apparently just a PC game, though, so not terribly relevant to Xbox, but it may come to Xbox, depending on how well it does. There's a closed beta coming soon, but uh, I, I have nothing to add to this. This is just not a Jesse game in any means. Uh, after that, they finally showed a gameplay reveal for Saints Row, the new reboot Saints Row game that, that there's a lot of controversy around for. I don't know why, but I think this game looks moderately interesting. It's very Saints Row-like. It's like a Tony Hawk over-the-top version of Grand Theft Auto. It's just ridiculous. And I don't know. I, I, I want to play it. There's this whole demo thing that's available now where you can like create your own boss character or whatever the fuck it is. I think that means just create your character. And they're like making a whole thing about this about this feature in the game. Uh, I, I don't care about that in part necessarily, but I know this game's coming out soon. And I know people are really torn on this. People think it, this game does not look good, but I, I personally think it looks it looks solid, especially in a world where we're just not getting Grand Theft Auto anymore. I don't know, man. Like this is this to me is a uh, is a breath of fresh air, considering there's just not you know everything's an open world these days, but there's not a lot of Grand Theft Auto type games and this is a little wackier a little more over the top but we don't really see a lot of Mafia or GTA or any of these things so why not 
But anyway, the boss factory thing can be downloaded now. I think you basically can just make your own character in it. I don't think you can actually play anything, but the game will be out shortly in August on the 23rd, so you will get to play the game relatively soon, but that's Saints Row. We finally got some gameplay on it. I don't know. To me, it just looks like really beefed up Saints Row, but I, I have nothing else to say about that. Uh, they also showed another trailer from Metal Hellsinger, which we saw at the Game Awards or whatever. That's that, like, like rhythm-based metal shooter game. I don't think that's coming to Xbox, actually. Um, I don't recall. The, the video actually didn't show. And then they showed a couple little indie... Sorry, a couple other smaller games. Actually, the developers of Genshin Impact, which is, like, one of the biggest fucking games in the history right now, uh, announced a new game. But Genshin Impact never came to Xbox so I don't know that this would either. But that was basically it. I, I know it, I guess it was a little front-loaded in terms of the good news, but I know it's a little disappointing to people. There's a shit ton of hype around it. There was a, It was a two-hour showcase, and compared to what we got last year at Summer Game Fest and, of course, what we are used to getting at E3 every year, yeah, it was it was lackluster in some ways. I get, I get the disappointment. But still, I think the showcase, despite, you know, or considering, rather, the situation the industry's in, the, the the kind of year we're looking at with everything, with all the delays and the way the games industry has kind of been affected by the pandemic, I, I think all in all, we got some decent stuff to look forward to. Maybe not so immediately, but, you know, we'll see all the juicy stuff that our audience is mostly interested in in just a few short days when Xbox and Bethesda have their showcase. So that's really the big one we're looking forward to. But I have nothing else to say to this other than, guys, Witchfire looks awesome. But there are a couple games we didn't really get into, Street Fighter, Callisto Protocol. So let's get into those now, guys. We will head over to our next big story. Obviously not nearly as big in terms of how much we have to talk about, but big story because there is a lot to get through here, which is <laughs> the day last week's episode went live, PlayStation held a state of play. Generally, now for those who don't know, state of play for Sony is like Nintendo Direct or something like that. It's like one of those little like streaming showcases they do sometimes they're bigger than others usually it's not a big deal usually it's a bunch of filler and garbage but this was one of the more interesting ones they actually had quite a few really good announcements at it and considering how bad state of play generally is i i thought they kind of killed it this time but headhunting halo wrote in about the event and said jesse were you disappointed in sony's state of play actually didn't care about any of what what it was really disappointed myself head on to Galo with all love and respect I'll do love and respect because I, I do love you and I do respect you I couldn't disagree with you anymore because I thought this was a really strong sewing showing for Sony it was a tight 20 30 minutes of here's cool shit coming out for PlayStation soon and yeah a lot of it was third party focused but I think they have a first party state of play that's coming up soon and they intentionally are trying to spread them out like that uh, if, if I'm not mistaken but yeah, they, uh, let's get into it. So, first of all, they opened, it was very Capcom heavy. So, for all those rumors about PlayStation acquiring Capcom, this definitely lends some, uh, some, some leverage to that argument. But, and we'll just read from VGC, Capcom during the event officially announced Resident Evil 4. The Japanese publisher confirmed the remake will release on March 24th next year for Series X and S, PC, and via Steam. Um... According to the Capcom, Resident Evil 4 Remake will preserve the essence of the original game while introducing modernized gameplay and reimagined storyline with vivid, detailed graphics. At first reported by VGC last or back in 2020, Resident Evil 4 Remake has been in development since 2018, initially led by Osaka-based M2, but later, later Tekken 
but later taken over by mainline Resident Evil studio, Capcom Division 1. The horror installment is regarded as one of the most influential games of the 2000s with its off-the-shoulder viewpoint and particularly widely adopted by many third-person shooter games that followed it. In the 15 years since the game's release, it's been ported and remastered many times, but never fully remade. Resident Evil 4's original director, Shinji Mikami, was approached to co-found M2, but turned it down due to his commitment to Bethesda's Ghostwire Tokyo, VGC was told. Of course, Shinji Mikami now runs um, Tango Gameworks, which is the developer behind Ghostwire Tokyo, is owned by Bethesda, which is owned by Xbox, because we got that Resident Evil 4 talent on Team Green. That's right, suck it, ponies. You're all dumb. And if you're over in the UK, you might not understand that I'm joking right now, because apparently a lot of you guys like to give three-star reviews because you're a little butthurt by my sense of humor, but actually it sounds like I'm a little butthurt because I keep bringing up the fact that my reviews aren't that great in the UK. Okay, I'll stop now. Um, but yeah, guys, this is... Um, this is a huge announcement, and I guess I I wasn't really surprised by it because this has been so heavily rumored for so long, and honestly, if VGC reports it, I believe it, and so we've been talking about it for like two years, maybe not on this podcast, but we in like the, the royal we in terms of the games, the gaming community's discourse, you know, murmurings or rumors of Resident Evil 4 remake have been going around forever, and also, it was inevitable, was it not? You know, they, they remade Resident Evil 2 and 3, and they were highly successful, sold phenomenally well, reviewed well. Even got me finally to give a shit about Resident Evil. I never played these games before that. And now I'm into the Resident Evil series. I've always wanted to give Resident Evil 4 a try. I was always told play it on the Wii. That's the best place to play it. But now I want to try it on VR because I have an Oculus Quest 2. And honestly, it sounds awesome in VR. But now I'm really conflicted because Resident Evil 4 Remake, it sounds like they're really reworking a lot of story, reworking a lot of the gameplay and everything. They're going to truly reimagine the game. Much like they did with Resident Evil 2 Remake. So... I'm very intrigued. I wonder maybe if now I, I need to play this version of it instead of the, the VR version. Um, but again, it's I, I don't know. It's it's hard now. There's a decision to make, and they they have such they're on such a good track record with Resident Evil Seven and Eight being good, with Resident Evil Two and Three remake being so good, and now they're remaking what many 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 people consider to be the best Resident Evil game. And I think it's going to put people's hype meters through the fucking roof. So we'll get this next March, apparently. I'm sure it will get delayed at least once. So maybe next May or June, at least, or at the earliest. But yeah, this is uh, this was one of the big games announced last week at Sony's event. Obviously, this will be coming to Xbox as well. It's already been confirmed and announced. So despite the fact that it was announced at a Sony event. And yeah, I, I have not much more to say about this other than... Capcom has really come in and swooped up the horror market. It's it's kind of been crazy to see. The horror market was really dead, no pun intended, for a while there until Resident Evil 7 came out and kind of reinvigorated it. And we know, you know, Kojima was working on that PT game that ended up getting canceled with Konami. So that never happened, but there was a lot of hope behind that. And then, you know, we have these devs like Bloober Team doing smaller games like Layers of Fear and stuff, but we haven't really had a robust horror scene. And now it just seems like because of Resident Evil 7 and 2 Remake and all these games they're doing that are just so phenomenally well-received that we're just seeing this resurgence in horror. Dead Space is coming back. Callisto Protocol is a spiritual successor to Dead Space, and we're getting that. And we're just seeing horror, like, really come back. And now we've got, I mean, now we've got, now we've got Routine coming as an Xbox exclusive. So tons and tons of horror all around. And uh, it's exciting to see, man, uh, because I think this is a genre that could be a lot more mainstream, and we're seeing it become more mainstream. I mean, dude, at the time we're recording this, Evil Dead just came out, and that's super popular, and we're about to get The Quarry, which will be out the day this this podcast goes live. So 
horror is alive and thriving, and it's coming back with a vengeance, and it's cool to see. But um, yeah, man, I, I let's let's keep the ball rolling. Let's talk about some more horror because next up. Also announced as relayed by VGC during that PlayStation State of Play, the Callisto Protocol, the upcoming horror game from Dead Space creator Glenn Schofield, will release on Xbox Series X and PC allegedly on December 2nd. I don't believe that date because everything gets delayed. But sure, December 2nd. The news was shared during the PlayStation State of Play event, and then gameplay was revealed during Summer Games Fest this just today. During the announcement, Schofield said that set on Jupiter's dead moon, Callisto is a 2320 or takes place in 2320. The Callisto protocol is a story of Jacob Lee, an inmate in a black iron prison who must fight for his life when a mysterious outbreak throws the moon into chaos. Quote, prison guards and inmates are mutating in, into monstrous creatures called biophage, biophage, and Jacob must battle into survival the horrors of Black Iron and uncover the darkest secret of United Jupiter Company. I can kind of see how this may have been tied in to PUBG, at least as like a horror spinoff. Anyway, in February of 2021, Striking Distance developers said that they had partnered with Skybound Entertainment, the company behind the Walking Dead franchise, to turn the Callisto Protocol into a multimedia f- franchise. So fuck, we're probably going to get some Netflix show, aren't we? Just making an anime, I don't know. Anyway, we saw the gameplay for this. This, again, as someone who did not play Dead Space back in the day, who missed the boat on that, to me, this looks like Dead Space. This looks very much like Dead Space with a with a different character and a different, a little bit of a different theme and aesthetic going for it. But yeah, I mean, I think this game looks awesome. It looks action-packed, which I like a lot. The, the combat looks really fun. It looks atmospheric as hell, which is what I really like about this game more than anything. I don't. I, I play a game like this more than like wanting to be spooked because that's not really what I'm looking for. I want to be deeply immersed in the atmosphere. So if anything, honestly, Callisto Protocol now being included in the list, games like this and Dead Space really more so than reminding me of like Resident Evil or a horror game actually reminds me a lot more of like Metroid. This idea of like you're stranded in space, you're on a ship. It's very, very atmospheric. It's it's moody. It's it's ambient. You know, like that. That gives me that like Super Metroid feeling, and I think that's a huge appeal to these games for me. Again, this is with Mass Effect having been a game I always wanted to play. I was always interested in. I just never got around to. It's just always sat in my backlog. Now this game will join that 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 list of you know Dead Space s games that I'm just like, damn, this looks like something I'd be really into, but I just haven't gotten around to. And to me, like, it just looks very, like, it looks like Resident Evil 2 meets Super Metroid. Like, that's that's what I, as someone who isn't familiar with Dead Space, that's what this looks like to me. It sounds like a phenomenal combination, too. And uh, I think the game looks fantastic. It looks really polished, looks really ready to go. And I'm actually a little surprised by how soon we're getting it. I don't know why, but I really thought this game was going to be, like, a fall 2023 game at the earliest, so... I think it's quite impressive how fast they got this game all the way down to this stage of development. And uh, I think people are going to be very pleased. I think this game is going to be quite popular. Provided they don't, you know, fuck it up with some game-breaking day one bug or whatever. Now let's wrap up with uh, the Sony State of Play event with the other big game reveal that was then showcased with gameplay footage at the Summer Game Fest. And of course, I'm finally I saved the best for last, guys. I'm talking about Street Fighter VI. And the reason I put this one last is because, oh my god, I'm just not prepared to talk about Street Fighter. I'm not a I'm not a fighting game guy. But I, obviously, Street Fighter, who doesn't have experience with Street Fighter? Very, very popular, very seminal fighting game. Uh, let's just read straight from Windows Central. Street Fighter VI, 
the next game in the mainline entry uh, of the Street Fighter series. Uh, it was first teased in early 2022, but now gameplay has been released uh, at the PlayStation State of Play Showcase. Now, as long as, as well as the Summer Game Fest event, where we got a serious look at what the game will play like. Uh, the fighting game Street Fighter VI can be fans can expect to have a long list of characters with distinct moves, advantages, and disadvantages. They will also include new modes expanding the series and making it potentially the biggest entry in the, in the game ever. Capcom describes the art direction where graffiti meets realism with realistic characters and, and backgrounds giving a painted effect, while large splashes of color punctuate the action. Now, I, and the game was developed, by the way, in the Resident Evil engine, which I, I just think is cool. They're really getting a lot of mileage out of that engine. They made Monster Hunter Rise out of it. They're making Capcom or Street Fighter 6 in it. They make Resident Evil games in it. I want to comment on the aesthetic because as someone who's not a fighting game fan and can't talk about the mechanics in depth with you guys, I can talk about the aesthetic. And I actually, as someone who genuinely prefers the sprite art based fighter games and doesn't really love the 2.5D look, I gotta say, in this game, it works for me. I really love the street art graffiti take they're doing with it. I think it's really fun. And I think a lot of these, I don't know, I think a lot of these, uh, these 2.5D games just generally look pretty, like, per, I don't know. They look, um, I don't know, they, they, they lack, like, personality and identity. And I feel like this kind of helps give it a lot of that for having this kind of art style. So I really do quite admire the way this game looks, although I really don't love the font for the logo or anything like that. But, I don't know, the game looks cool. It has this, like, open hub area that really like expands the way you play the game which i think is interesting i feel like that will be controversial because people hate hub areas and non-open world games but anyway it is confirmed to be coming for xbox which is the big thing because as you'll remember street fighter 5 was playstation uh, 4 exclusive so finally the series is coming back to xbox i think xbox probably fought capcom long and hard to make this happen my guess is because sony probably was content to probably pay and, and do whatever it took to keep this franchise exclusive to PlayStation. But as they say, as the rumor and the report suggest, losing Street Fighter on Xbox with five not being on Xbox one really hurt the fighting game community on Xbox that paired with Killer Instinct kind of, you know, ending and being abandoned and not being continued on. So I, I think for a lot of Xbox players, this was this is a really big um, this is a godsend. You know, this is this is them saying, hey, Fighting games are not dead on Xbox. There is hope yet. This genre will live again. So hopefully we do get something like Killer Instinct back one day. I think it's kind of a miss for Xbox to just sleep on that. But in the meantime, hey, Street Fighter 6, that's a huge one. And finally it's back on Xbox. And this will be a huge this will be this will probably make Xbox fans who are fighting game fans quite pleased when the game launches in 2023, uh, barring any delays. But yeah, that's I, I just don't have anything to say about the game other than I, I think the art style's surprisingly cool i don't care about the game it's just not for me but that's street fighter 6 so that covers the summer game fest and the sony state of play we're done with all the events guys wipe your brow we can take a deep breath chug a water let's take let's, let's take a little break and then jump into the rest of the news i told you it's a, it's a hunky hunky news all right our next story unfortunately with all the excitement and positivity we've had today we gotta we gotta talk about a not so exciting news story but we won't dwell on it too much because we've, we've we've done this song and dance before. VGC relays some sad, sad news that Saudi Arabia has purchased a $1 billion stake in Embracer Group, 
acquiring 8.1% of the company's shares. Following the deal's completion, the country's public investment fund, PIF, which we've talked about on the podcast before, through its subsidiary, Savvy Gaming Group, will be the second largest owner of Embracer Group shares. PIF is a sovereign wealth fund chaired by Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. I always say Salman. Salman. And is reportedly central to his goal of making the Saudi economy less reliant on proceeds from oil. Because, you know, like, no one's making money on oil right now with our fucking $5 gas prices. Uh, Anyway. The Embracer deal is the latest in a line of investments in video game companies, which may raise concern for some given Saudi Arabia's long-standing history of human rights abuse. The Crown Prince has particularly been accused of ordering the murder of journalist Jamal uh, Khashoggi, not to mention the nation's senseless war with Yemen, where Saudi Arabia has been mercilessly slaughtering innocents with the financial and military backing of the United States government, and despite being a nation comprised of individuals who are largely, without a doubt, kind and wonderful people, Saudi society has long fostered a culture where women are treated as objectively less to their male neighbors and counterparts. Gay and trans people are often subjected to public beheadings, and citizens are banned from expressing any non-Muslim faith, among many other heinous acts. In a statement, Embracer founder and CEO Lars Wingfors said, Savvy Gaming Group's investment of a billion dollars enables us to continue to execute our strategy proactively from a position of strength across the global gaming industry. Over the past few years, Saudi-based entitled ent- sorry, over the past few years, Saudi-based entities have become one of the most significant investors in the global gaming market. And the games market in MENA is one of the world's fastest growing with 5.7 billion in 2021 in revenues and more active gamers than either the US or Western Europe. The largest country, quote, the largest country in the market by far is Saudi Arabia. And having visited Saudi Arabia, I have seen gaming, the gaming community, and the opportunities firsthand. Our relationship with Savvy Gaming Group will enable us to see a regional hub to set up a regional hub in Saudi Arabia from which we will be able to make investments across the MENA region, either organically via partnerships, joint ventures, or via acquisitions of companies led by strong entrepreneurs. Earlier in the year, or that's end quote. Earlier in the year, the Prince's PIF purchased 5% stake in Nintendo a move which was met with unease from fans. Nintendo subsequently said that it first learned about the Saudi investment from news reports they didn't even know at the time. In April, the prince acquired 96% of acclaimed Japanese developer SNK, taking over ownership of the Fatal Fury Metal Slug and King of Fighters studio. The PIF has also been used this or also used this year to invest stakes in more than 5% of both Capcom and South Korean online gaming publisher Nexon. These investments could have totaled over a billion dollars. Embracer Group has owned in re- has grown in recent years to become one of the largest pu- gaming publishers. The Swedish-based company announced last month that it plans to acquire a large port of Square Enix's Western development arm for $300 million, which includes Crystal Dynamics, Eidos Montreal, Square Enix Montreal, and a catalog of IPs including Tomb Raider and Deus Ex. Where the deal, when the deal is completed, Embracer will also own such companies as THQ Nordic, Coke Media, slash Deep Silver, Saber Interactive, Gearbox Software, and more than 120 internal game devs. Its largest acquisition was the 2.7 billion uh, euro purchase of French board game company as Modi back in December of last year. Woo! Exhale. Yeah, I, I, I don't have anything to say about this at this point because we have gone on and on and on about the seedy investment of Chinese Communist Party affiliated corporations like Tencent and this public investment fund that the Saudi royal prince has initiated uh, to try and diversify 
the wealth and the portfolio of Saudi Arabia's economy so that they're not entirely oil dependent, almost as if they know that they're fucking drilling all the goddamn oil out of the earth and that they're fucking destroying our earth by doing so and that we all have a fucking oil addiction that we're making the world a worse place and at some point it's going to run out and rather than, you know, focusing on not being oil dependent so we can, you know, make the world a healthy place to live for future generations, we're more concerned in like, how can we make sure we maintain control, power, and wealth as oil starts to run out? So they started this fund where they take all the fucking money they have because they have all the fucking money in the world and they're buying all the gaming companies or they're investing in all the gaming groups to make all the money because gaming has so much money to be made despite what your boss who plays golf doesn't understand about gaming, despite what your parents who don't understand why you like video games as a grown adult, despite what they don't understand, gaming is full of fucking money because it's a serious, serious, serious uh, mode of entertainment where there's actually far more money to be made than music, movies, television, any of that shit. So here we are. We've talked about it a million times before. What else do you want me to say? I'm not going to sit here on my high horse and tirade on and on and on about how I hate the crown prince of Saudi Arabia. I hate the government there. I hate the tyrannical, uh, oppressive society that Saudi people are subjected to. In fact, I, hey, I see the analytics. We got like three or four people that listen to Xbox on that are Saudi. I have nothing against you personally. You know, I, I'm sure most people, just like the same with China, I'm sure most people who live in China are probably really awesome, excellent, well-intended people. Unfortunately, they live in a shit country run by a shit government with a shit society. That sucks. It's I, I, I hate that for you, but that is unfortunately the reality of the situation. And and I'm talking about like severely sucks. That's why I added in the little slight about the whole, you know, if you're gay or trans in this country, you can be beheaded. It happens all the fucking time. I'm not talking about a world in which like, oh, there's political corruption. I'm talking about a world where it's like, hi, this is me being myself. And someone's like, cool, you're dead now. That's what I'm talking about. So I don't know, man. I, I hate to see this happen. I guess the bigger news isn't that this happened because, unfortunately, it's inevitable. And isn't it funny how we talked about this when Microsoft bought Activision, how everyone was like, well, wouldn't you rather be Microsoft than one of these other companies? It's like, it doesn't fucking matter if it's Microsoft or one of these other companies because or one of these other investment groups, rather, because these investment groups are just going to go in and buy shit. Like, it mentions how Nintendo didn't even realize... <laughs> that the that the PIF purchased 5% share stake in, in Nintendo until after it already happened because it's public. Anyone can buy it. Embracer is publicly traded on the, what, the Swedish stock system? I'm, my, I'm too stupid to fucking know what it's called, but they're, they're publicly traded in Europe. Anyone can buy there, you know? It's the same here. Like, I have fucking $10 to my name. I can go buy uh, one one millionth of a fucking Microsoft stock if I wanted. One one millionth of a share, whatever. Obviously, I'm hyperbolizing, but, you know, I could go buy a fraction of a share if I wanted to. And I could be like, cool, I'm a part owner in Microsoft. Whoop-de-doo. The problem is it doesn't matter what big tech company, Google, you know, Amazon, Microsoft, is buying Activision, EA, whatever, because at the end of the day, these fucking investment groups from BlackRock and PIF and these CCP-funded um, investment groups can just come in and buy whoever. You know, who's to say that they don't come in and just invest a shit ton of money in Microsoft? It could happen. Unfortunately, it really could happen. And that's this is the stuff that's just so disheartening is that while Embracer Group can't control that that happened, you would hope at least that the CEO would come out and be like, hey, we pride ourselves on being one of the absolute biggest, most behemoth-sized gaming entertainment um, conglomerates out there in the world. We are funded by our investors who are comprised of you know business partners and companies all across Europe and, and, and individuals 
who believe in you know sustaining and building a great place to put to empower developers and make great games, right? But unfortunately, we condemn the investment in the money that has been funded into Embracer from the Saudi from the Saudi royal family because that money is tainted. You know, like someone with some actual fucking moral fortitude who can stand up and be like, we don't want this money. We don't want this 8% purchase because yes, it injects, it injects $1 billion of of money of investment into Embracer Group, but that money is tainted with fucking genocide in Yemen, with this, with, with oppression of Saudi people, with a fucking, with a fucking boot on the neck of the modern world of oil-dependent people who are slaves to a fucking system that is poisoning and destroying our environment. I would love for someone to have the fucking testicular fortitude to stand up and fucking say that. And if you're the embracer of CEO and you have the kind of investment access that they have, you are in the position where you can pick and choose. And you can say that. You can stand up and do something that's good for humankind instead of something that is just good for your bottom line. And I get it. It's all about the money. It's all about the investors. It's all about the end, whatever. I guess why I'm really butthurt about this is because I was literally thinking, I'm not even joking, today, today, before this news broke, how much I really admire and appreciate Embracer Group. Because they are single-handedly reviving and restoring and re-rejuvenating the AA market, which I talk about all the time on this podcast. I miss the AA market. You know, in the Xbox 360 era and earlier... There used to be such a thing as fucking double A games. My favorite example of a double A game developer of all time, Pandemic. The guys behind the Mercenaries games and the old Star Wars Battlefront games, they were the greatest fucking team in in the double A space. They were phenomenal. You know, they made the um um they made the Destroy All Humans games. And all these games are being brought back to life because of Embracer. I loved when video games could be like, "Hey, here's a couple million dollars and you're not going to be able to make The Last of Us with it. Trust me, it's not going to be that sexy and pretty what you can make. But you can make a video game with it. You know, you have a big enough budget that if you have a lot of creativity and a lot of crazy ideas in two and a half years, fuck it. You can make something that's zany, wacky, and super fun to play. And that's what AA used to be all about. It's like, here's a fun game with this license. And here's a fun game that's this original idea where, like, for some reason you could blow buildings up and make stupid shit happen. And we used to get so much of that. And then it went away. When, T- when THQ fell apart, it all went away. And then the world was dominated by the extremes. You had the super AAA, like Sony, which just drove the fucking market into like everything is a third-person story-driven game like the fucking Last of Us, Uncharted, God of War, which are all the exact same game with a different skin. Or you get the exact polar opposite, which is like, hey, this game was made by two people in in uh, Washington State, and uh, it really means a lot to us. Portland's an expensive city. Please help fund our game. It's about, it's about uh, capitalism being toxic or some shit like that. And it's like, these are the only two options you get in gaming now and embracer was like hey we're gonna revive you know that that thing when games were could games could be fun and i really appreciated and admired that and now it's like this happens it's like nah, fuck it. of course you know god forbid we have like one thing you know but whatever i digress because there's really not much else to say this I, I i'm obviously you can tell i'm i'm bitter and i'm upset about it but there's no reason to be i cannot control the situation it is what it is and the world will keep spitting on but unfortunately you know, Embracer, this uh, group, this conglomerate of tons and tons of great IP and gaming studios and gaming talent that are doing a lot of great work to restore, in my opinion, restore balance to the gaming ecosystem, have been tainted with the blood money of the Saudi royal family, 
And uh, don't worry, guys. Kotaku's not going to give a shit. None of your favorite gaming outlets, not your favorite, but you know, none of the big gaming outlets are really going to give a shit about this. They're not really going to report on it or have anything to say. But don't you worry. When uh, when Hogwarts Legacy comes out in six months, they're going to have plenty to say about how evil J.K. Rowling is, despite the fact she has literally nothing to do with the fucking game other than she created Harry Potter. She didn't make the game, but don't worry. Fighting the good fight over there at Kind of Funny Games where we refuse to cover... Uh, we refuse to cover Hogwarts Legacy, but turn a blind eye to things like fucking blood money being injected into the games industry, but whatever. Cool. I'm, I, my mood is ruined. I need to go eat a fucking Go-Gurt to cheer myself up. Excuse me. All right. And this, uh, this next story, <laughs> we've we got two more left. I promise. It's the big news week. This next one is, uh, <laughs> it would have been a cooler story if this came to fruition during the Summer Game Fest, but it didn't happen. So now it's a little less exciting, but... Uh, VGC reports that Hideo Kojima is reportedly working on a new horror, horror game called Overdose. And this is so frustrating because <laughs> I feel like every other day it's like Hideo Kojima is working on a new blank, a sequel to Death Stranding, another horror game. Is he reviving Death Stranded? Is he working with that Hassan Caravan guy on that PlayStation uh, vaporware product that was like a whole thing last year? Like, I don't fucking know. Is, is Hideo Kojima working with Xbox to make a new Xbox exclusive game? Dude, Let's stop speculating on Hideo Kojima and just let him be. But no, we got we got another another um, report, another rumor to go through. So reliable industry insider Tom Henderson, who is very reliable, very very uh, good at what he does, claims to have received early footage of the game featuring uh, Margaret Qualley, who starred in Kojima Productions' debut game Death Stranding, writing for Tom. Uh, try, sorry, writing for Try Hard Games, Henderson reports that the game doesn't appear to be a Death Stranding 2, uh, or doesn't appear to be Death Stranding 2, which actor Norman Reedus recently claimed is in early development. The footage reportedly shown was Quali's character uh, using a flashlight to navigate dark corridors in a third-person perspective, but it's claimed that the game may be a playable may also be playable in first person. The video is said uh, to close with a jump scare before displaying Game Over, followed by a Hideo Kojima game, and finally, Overdose. Following a publication of the article, Henderson claimed that Kojima Productions reached out and requested a removal. So if true, it would appear to lend weight to the claim that this, this story is true because, you know, Kojima probably wouldn't reach out if it were nothing, right? Now, I was fully expecting that if this were going to be something we'd learn about imminently, we would hear about it at the Summer Game Fest because we all know Jeff Keighley and Hideo Kojima have kind of a bromance going on, so it would have made perfect sense. But unfortunately, we didn't hear about it there, so now it's just another one of those rumors that's out into the ether. We'll probably all forget about it in the next few months before the next Hideo Kojima rumor comes out. But yeah, he's apparently working on something for Xbox. Apparently now this... I know there's a desire for Kojima to do something in in the horror related field because everyone really wanted that that PT game to be real and to really happen before you know shit hit the fan between Kojima and Konami and everything was canceled. But I just don't I just don't know what to believe anymore because it's like the rumor is well Sony's trying to repair the relationship between Konami and Kojima, so maybe PT will get made after all. And then it's like, well, no, they're making a sequel to Death Stranding. And people are like, well, they're also working on a smaller game, possibly a smaller title with Xbox for Game Pass. And it's like, okay, Kojima Productions, we know they've staffed up. We know they've moved studios. They're decent size. They're not that big. There's no way they're working on like three or four games. So what is the deal here? And right now it seems like the rumor that they're working on Death Stranding 2 is the strongest. So I wouldn't be surprised if they were doing Death Stranding 2 and then some smaller game for an Xbox Game Pass thing. But... 
I don't know about this one. Maybe this is the Xbox game. That's the only thing I can think of. And if it is, that's kind of weird because it's like, God, why does Xbox have so much horror content that they're trying to lock down their platform? But also, you got to think, everyone wants PT to come back. Everyone wanted that game to come to fruition. It was a PlayStation game from Konami and Kojima, and it never happened. What if Xbox managed to secure a deal with Kojima to do a horror game exclusively for Xbox? So it's like, hey, guys, you kind of got PT in the end. It's an Xbox game. Fuck you. That is the kind of move Xbox should 100% be throwing money all over Kojima to make happen. But I just don't feel like the same Xbox that passed up on having access to to the Marvel licenses uh, for video games is the same Microsoft that like would let this opportunity pass them by. So I just feel like, no, that's that's not that's not what what this is about. But I can't help but like connect the dots and assume that might be what we're what we're seeing here. But. Dude, this is the millionth Kojima rumor, and I, I just have nothing to say to it because at this point it's like, yeah, uh, here's your weekly Kojima rumor along with your weekly update of Activision's lawsuit along with your weekly update of who uh, Tencent and Saudi, the Saudi royal prince are investing in. <laughs> like, here are your three given stories every freaking week. But let's wrap up with our final story of the week, which is that uh, related from VGC, our, our boys over at VGC, we use them for everything if we can. Toys for Bob. That's right, Toys for Bob. You remember them from the Skylander series. They could be working on a new Crash Bandicoot game. It's been suggested. Speaking on the Windows Central podcast, so I should be quoting this from Windows Central because that's the original source, but shame on me. On the Xbox Chatterdays podcast, Windows Central journalist Jez Corden, guy who we all admire on the show, excellent voice of the Xbox community, implied that he knows he has knowledge of a new Crash Bandicoot game that's oops, sorry that's in development at the studio behind Crash 4. It's about time, as well as the remake trilogy. Well, when another guest on the podcast, Randall Thor, I never know how to say his name because I only ever see him on Twitter, but ever, anyway, he predicted that Toys for Bob could be working on a new Crash Child that could possibly be shown at the upcoming Xbox Bethesda Showcase. Corden asked sarcastically, what did you... Where did you get that information, Randall? And he responded, I wasn't supposed to leak that, while clearly inferring that it could be true. Now, if this is true, it will be antiquated information pretty quickly because that that presentation is in three days, and so you don't have much time to listen to this podcast and then see that show. But continuing on, VGC reported late last year that Toys for Bob was potentially hiring for a non-Call of Duty-based project, suggesting a, as suggested by a listing on the internal career site. This is incredibly notable because we know that Activision basically folded all of their dev teams into Blizzard or Call of Duty affiliated dev teams, which means no more Toys for Bob, which means no more, tri- uh, no, 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 um, um, no more Neversoft. All these teams, etc. They just got, <laughs> fuck you, you're on Call of Duty duty now. Ha ha ha. He said duty twice. But the studio behind the Crash developed in, or sorry, the, the Crash Bandicoot Insane Trilogy, Crash 4, It's About Time, and the Skylanders franchise recently had been transitioned prom- prominently to a support role for Call of Duty, specifically massively successful free-to-play Warzone mode. Last year, Activision Blizzard confirmed that it's all its core studios were working on Call of Duty. However, at the time, Toys for Bob implied that it could be working on the Crash franchise in some form. So, so there's a reiteration of what I was just saying. God, let this be true. God, let this be true. God, let this be fucking true. Even though I don't necessarily care about what this game is rumored to be, because I think they're saying it's like some kind of fighting game or port party game. I don't know. Is this a sequel to like Crash Bash, that old PlayStation 1 party game? I don't fucking know. Whatever it is, it, it doesn't seem like it's a typical Crash game. Because I remember the whole the whole drama was that, you know, the Crash Insane trilogy did really, really well, as, as, long as, the, as well as the um, Spyro Reignited trilogy. But then 
Crash 4, the, when they made a sequel, it did all right. It sold a couple million. A success, a mild success by, you know, moderate success by most publisher standards. But by Activision standards, it's like, eh, we make so much money off Warzone. Why wouldn't we just put everyone on Warzone and, and just milk Call of Duty for all it's worth? I wonder if this decision was made out of, like, I, I can't imagine. I wonder if it was, like, they saw how... Vanguard was being received and kind of worried a little bit, and we're like, oh, we need to have the portfolio diversified a little, a little bit. Toys for Bob, do you guys want to make something that's not Call of Duty related, just so we got a little more in the wheelhouse other than Call of Duty? Or if maybe they were transitioning from Warzone to Warzone Two and Modern Warfare Two, and they were like, huh, we're kind of in this lull where these teams are working on Warzone Two. We don't really have much for everyone to be doing. Guys, do you want to transition to a different project while we try to get Warzone Two out the door and settle into that being the new battle royale for Call of Duty? I, I don't know. It's all speculation, obviously, but I, I can't imagine what would have happened that made them go from okay, Toys for Bob, your Call of Duty support team exclusively now, and then immediately a few months later being like, just kidding, you can go make another crash game. I'm I'm curious as to what happened, and that's why my speculation lies in potentially Call of Duty um, starting to make Activision a little nervous with the the soft performance relative soft performance of Vanguard, but who knows? I don't, again, this is another one of the stories I don't want to speculate on too hard because it's quite possible that here we are in three days and I'm like, wow, guys, how was that Bethesda Xbox showcase? Pretty cool seeing that new Crash Bandicoot game, right? So it's like, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. We can reconvene uh, on this story depending on how Sunday goes, right? But that's it for all of our major news this week. Guys, it's a fucking chunky-ass news week. I hope you're enjoying it. I hope you're in your car right now, sitting in traffic going, Oh, thank you, Xbox on Podcast, because I, I'm, I'm so angry that, that this fucking red light, but oh, your voice, your your news, your commentary, you're picking on the British, your anger towards Embracer Group is getting me through my commute. It's allowing me to channel myself through you. I don't know. But that's it for all the ba- major news. We still have... The important enough news. These are the stories important enough to make the podcast not quite important enough to make warrant their own discussions. So let's go through it real quick and start out from the top. We got five, six stories to get through, and we will just rapid fire them. The first one, VGC reports Microsoft has said it is on track to release at least five first-party games in the next 12 months, which would match or exceed its output from the previous 12 months. So they're talking about beginning in June. In a briefing to media outlets this past week, the company noted that it released five new games across PC and console during the last fiscal year, uh, which started on July 1st and ends on June 30th. So they're saying, oh, between July or June, sorry, July and June of the next fiscal year, they plan on putting out five more games. Last year, it was Microsoft Flight Simulator, Psychonauts 2, Age of Empires 4, uh, Forza Horizon 5, and Halo Infinite. Uh, and they said, quote, we are on track to meet or exceed the amount of the next fiscal year, the company said. So far, Bethesda's Redfall and Starfield were recently delayed to the first half of 2023, but despite that delay, it should still fall within that window. Um, that leaves the re- the last three games, or at least three games, from the first party set to be released before June 30th, 2023. Now, let's quickly, let's guess for wildcard purposes. It could be Forza Motorsport. That could be one. That game could be coming out this fall, although I think... The rumor and the murmurings are it's next year. So it could be that. It could be Contraband, that game that is just a splash screen. But no, I, I feel like, I don't know, it could be something silly like the, the the Xbox port of like Deathloop or something like that. I don't know. I don't, I feel like this is another one of those Xbox things where they're just like, they're like kind of talking lofty, lofty, but when you really break down what it means, it's like not that exciting. Like, they're like, oh, we had five big games last year, but then you look through it and it's like, yeah, but like... <laughs> Psychonauts 2 is kind of a kind of a 
kind of a cheat because that was multi-platform and it was in development forever and you guys didn't really fund it until the end there and it ended up coming to PlayStation. Age of Empires doesn't really count. It's kind of a PlayStation or it's kind of a PC game and like yeah, I get it. it's Xbox owned, but like eh, you, come on, you know. So it, it's one of those things where I feel like they're gonna get a little cutesy with the responses, but whatever. Next up, <laughs> VGC reports Microsoft will hold an Xbox an Xbox Game Showcase extended stream following the showcase with Bethesda this Sunday, it's announced. According to a blog post, the company will share new trailers, take deeper looks at games announced during the showcase, and speak with some favorite game creators to go over uh, more granular detail. The broadcast, which will be around 90 minutes in length, will begin on Tuesday, June 14th, around 1 p.m. Eastern Time. So that will follow... That will follow the announcements. We'll probably get some tidbits, but nothing super serious there. VGC also released that Capcom has confirmed that it's hosting its own presentation next week. On Monday, June 13th, the Capcom Showcase will commence where it will talk about the announcement of new games. Temper- they want temporary expectations because they implied that there will be no new titles revealed. Rather, they will be doing deeper dives onto already announced games for 35 minutes at 3 p.m. Pacific time on June 13th. So expect a deep dive into like Street Fighter 6 and stuff like that, you know. And next up, VGC reports that a promotional image for the first Forza Horizon 5 expansion were recently briefly shown on the game's Steam page. As spotted by Reddit user Autumn Leaves, the image reveals the first expansion pack will be based on the Hot Wheels. Uh, it will be based on Hot Wheels. Yes. For a brief period, the store page on the Forza Horizon 5 premium add-on bundle included a header image that included Expansion Pass 1, accompanied by artwork showing Hot Wheels cars going over a loop. The image was quickly removed, but an archive version of the page shows what it looked like. So, yeah, I saw that. Looks good. I'm excited for it. Let's do it, boy. Next up, Battlefield 2042 Season 1 zero-hour release date gameplay and trailer have been revealed. Uh, The release date for Season 1, titled Zero Hour, is out now, actually. It, it's a, this news is a little dated now, so it's out now. It includes stealth helicopters, mountains, uh, a mountainous map called Exposure, uh, set in Canada, and it includes a battle pass, the first battle pass the games had with over a hundred with a hundred tiers of content, thirty for free, seventy for premium battle pass holders. Get back to Battlefield 2042, boys. They're trying to revive it. And lastly, VGC reports that E3 owner the ESA has reiterated it's planning to come back in 2023. Despite the absences of the past few years, they are assuring that they will be back in 2023. Okay, ESA, we believe you. We'll see. But, guys, that's going to do it for all of our news this week. It's been such a long week. Guys, let's calm down. Let's take a deep breath. Let us close out the podcast by wrapping up with the comments. The This is the jerk-off, chill, fun comment section of the podcast. No more big news. No more in-depth analysis. We're just going to take a deep breath and see what kind of gibberish nonsense people had to write in about. You know, I'm headhunting Halo, probably talking about some Mountain Dew. You know, you got to have it. So our first comment actually comes from none other than my mother, who says, Congratulations on three years. Amazing work. Well done. Thanks, Mom. But let's talk about Game Pass being king now, because Compassion Choice LLC did write in and said, Hope everyone has been getting some gaming in lately after looking through my achievements i was astounded to find that i played 44 new games new to me getting at least a few achievements uh, in each one in the past year game pass has been great although lacking in big games this year 2022 has been my best year on xbox since 2002 for the sheer amount of content i've enjoyed now that's of course a reference to last year's last week's story and controversy with kotaku and everyone being like ah you know xbox game pass maybe it's not worth it not that many games 
again, this is a nice little anecdote to accompany my anecdote from last week as well. That's like, I don't know, man. Like, say what you want. Yeah, sure. Game Pass could have some bigger games releasing into it. You know, recently it's definitely lacked a little bit in that. MLB The Show 22 was basically the biggest one uh, we got recently. But here's the thing is like people are still getting so much use out of it. All the discounts you get, all the cool indie games that get thrown into it, all the games that are a couple of years old that get thrown into it that a lot of people have never played. And then on top of that, all the first party Xbox, all, all the first party Xbox content, which is only going to grow and grow and grow over time and become more and more enticing. Xbox is a great value. I think to expect it to constantly be inundating you with so much bullshit that you couldn't possibly keep up would make the service less appealing because then it's just overwhelming. So, Yes, do I want it to be better? Of course. Do I want it to have more big, giant games in it on a regular basis? Of course. You know, Xbox wants that too. They want at least one a quarter, you know? But, I don't know, man. Like, just in its current state, I feel like Game Pass is 100% worth the 10 to 15 bucks. Not even a question. So, suck it, Kotaku. Next up, let's talk original versus IP. Kronky writes in and says... I've always preferred the unlicensed knockoffs to actual IPs. I think for a video game like Uncharted or Tomb Raider, uh, they're a lot more fun than Indiana Jones. That being said, Machine Games, the developer behind the new Indiana Jones game, has never led me astray so far. Yeah, Kronky, I I agree with that sentiment as well, actually. I, I also, you know, I like Indiana Jones. I think it's a fun franchise. I like the movies a lot. I also enjoy the idea of like another Uncharted game or another Tomb Raider game more than I enjoy the idea of an Indiana Jones game. I genuinely do. Because I'm the same way. I, I think I think movies and games have their own individual, unique uh, strengths and weaknesses. And I always love... I don't know. I feel like gaming was so deprived of licenses for so long in a lot of ways that they had to get creative. And we got so many original IP. And it ended up making gaming better. It's part of why gaming is so much better than movies anyway, right? Because... I don't know, like, obviously licensed games have always existed. You think back to, like, the NES and shit, obviously. Think back to the arcade, obviously. But you think about, like, especially the era that, like, I grew up in, like I was saying earlier in the show, like, that PS1, N64, Dreamcast, OG Xbox, GameCube, PS2 era. Dude, of course licensed games were coming out all the fucking time. But you think about a lot of AAA games, and they didn't have licenses. Licenses were usually for, like, contractual movie tie-in things and it was always like these double a games but for the triple a stuff it was never the license it was never that way until really like batman arkham came out really um so for the longest time it was always like yeah we want to make something that's like this adventure archaeological type um video game where you get to explore and, and go on this adventure and it was like yeah we don't have access to the indiana jones ip and thus, Tomb Raider was created. And, you know, maybe back in the old Tomb Raider days, people were just like, oh, this is like video game Indiana Jones. But it's like, yeah, but it, it maybe maybe to like a movie buff, you look at Tomb Raider and you go, oh, this is just this is just video game Indiana Jones. But to us gamers who've been growing up with Tomb Raider over all this time, we know that like when it comes to like when you're on gaming's turf, it's like, no, no, Tomb Raider is the legit thing. The Indiana Jones IP is like the is like the guy trying to test test his luck in the game space. You know, like Indiana Jones having a video game on Xbox is to video games what like is to like movies going into video games as like those Tomb Raider movies are to like video games trying to adapt into movies. It's this weird thing of like, 
okay, let's see if you can do it. Maybe, maybe not. But like, you know, like in our in our space, the real deal is Uncharted or Tomb Raider, and and I I also agree with that. I love that. It also just helps give the games industry a lot of its own identity and flair and, and spice. You know, like uh, obviously it wouldn't be an episode of Xbox on if I didn't find a way to pull this into theme parks. And so let me do my Disney spiel. That's the biggest argument Disney fans have about theme parks all the time is this idea of originals versus IPs. Now, obviously Disney has always done IPs in their theme park. Um, but you know, like a lot of the most beloved theme park attractions for like Disney fans have always been, the original attractions that were built from the ground up for the theme parks that aren't tied to some Disney or Marvel movie, you know, like these just random fucking rides, like, like, like old Epcot. It was all just about like educational stuff and space exploration and, and technology and shit. It was like never about Mickey mouse or fucking, you know, Aladdin or some shit like that. And nowadays Disney leans more and more into IP. They're just like, yeah, everything's gotta be Marvel or star Wars or Pixar, this or toy story that, you know, whatever. And um, whatever, that's a whole point of contention. But I feel like that argument can kind of find its home in the video games industry as well, especially recently where it's like, dude, everything's trying to be an IP now. Every AAA game is like, yeah, let's do AAA Harry Potter. Let's do AAA Spider-Man. Let's do AAA Batman. Let's do AAA Star Wars. And don't get me wrong, these games are pretty great for all intents and purposes, you know, at least the ones that have released and we've played like Batman and, and Spider-Man and, and some of these Star Wars games and so on. But like, I don't know, man. Like, you think about a game like Mass Effect. And I know this sounds a little hypocritical because I've only played a little bit of Mass Effect and it's a huge blind spot for me. But I know Mass Effect fans are enamored with that franchise. That's a franchise where people live and die by it. People get N7 tattoos. And people love their created version of Shepard. And people love the lore in in the universe of Mass Effect. People deeply, deeply love Mass Effect. I know I'm that way with Halo, right? Fuck, I've considered getting Halo tattoos on and off my whole life. But it's this thing of like, it's so cool that gaming has this unique identity because you know that the people at Bioware who envisioned and created a world like Mass Effect were deeply, deeply, deeply inspired by movie and TV like Star Wars and Star Trek. You know, like those franchises ooze, that influence oozes all over a game like Mass Effect. But isn't it so much better in hindsight that's like we got Mass Effects 1, 2, and 3 instead of EA got access to the Star Wars license and said, Bioware, here's Star Wars. And they made Star Wars, lightsaber duels, Jedi effects after class, meet me times three. And they're just like, okay, in this game, you'll never believe this. You play as a Jedi and you have to fight Darth Vader. And it's like a Soulsborne game, but all, all, but everyone's in a monster truck. And, and then, you know, Star Wars fans can get their hands on it and be like, well, we're Star Wars fans, so our objective is to bitch and complain and moan about everything and nothing's good enough. And then IGN gives it a 9 out of 10 while everyone else shits on it and so on and so forth. And the Earth continues to rotate because that is the natural order of things. But, like, cool. Because of the time and place, you know, 2007, when the first Mass Effect came out, which, of course, wasn't even... That was before Bioware was owned by EA, and in fact, that game was published by Microsoft. Because of the time and place, 2007, Bioware didn't have access to something like Star Wars, right? Although they made, I guess this is hypocritical because they, they made a Star Wars game, they made Knights of the Old Republic. But, um, you know, it's like, we got Mass Effect, and now Mass Effect is this rich, lore-heavy, unapologetically video game-affiliated original IP that people have so much adoration for because it is a core example of what video games can be when original ideas meet great game design 
and great minds and great talent and it all comes together and it's like we don't need movies we don't need books we don't need comics to influence or or to dictate what worlds we can explore that that is something i, I love it I, I think there's room for spider-man games i think there's room for batman games and indiana jones games and i welcome all of it but i do worry much like the way that we disney nerds argue in the disney community about are we going a little too heavy on ip did that new roller coaster at Epcot really have to be about Guardians of the Galaxy? Does that really make sense for Disney's Epcot theme park? You know, much in that kind of same regard that we do in the theme park industry, it's like you could do the same thing in the games industry where it's just like, listen, man, I love Arkham Asylum. I love PS4, Spider-Man 2018. But like, can we, you know, it's like Insomniac also created Ratchet and Clank and Resistance Fall of Man and Sunset Overdrive and these really exciting and interesting original IP and interesting worlds and in some cases really vibrant and colorful and fun worlds. Uh, we wouldn't have got that if Insomniac were just handed Spider-Man from the get and we're like, make Spider-Man and make sure he does web swinging all the time in the game. And it's just like, cool, Mary Jane, awesome. That's video games now. So I don't know. I, I'm with you. I, I don't mean to sound so down on IP, but I agree. I think the original IP are very, really integral part of the fabric of, of, of gaming. And I I do worry a little bit that we're, we're getting so deep into the IP shit that it's like, ah, man, pretty soon gaming is just going to be all known quantities, you know, and then we're going to have to wait. Then we're going to have to rely solely on uh, Embracer Group and indie developers to, to give us non-IP related shit. Or non, you know, when I say IP, I don't mean like a sequel to an already established game like like the like the um, destroy all your humans three, which we know is in development. I'm like no, not not that. I mean like, oh cool, we're making a fucking Tom Cruise Mission Impossible the video game. Anyway, let's talk about Diablo Immortal, which is a mobile game, but a lot of you guys have things to say about it, and by a lot I mean two. Way of the Loud wrote in and says, Mister Derosa, so sorry I've been spelling your name wrong in all the comments I leave. Have you? Uh, can I bring up the uh, the fact that if Diablo Immortal wasn't a massive piece of play to Play to play crap, pay to play crap. It might not be that bad. I did uh, play it some on the PC and I like it. However, to get ahead, you gotta pay. So f that. Sorry, I've been absent. It's on PC also. What? Mojo wrote in and says the first podcast in a long time where my boy Bobby, where, where, sorry, where my boy, no, where the name Bobby Kodak was not mentioned. Oh snap! I purchased Chorus when it first was released. It's one of. One of my favorite games of the year, two thumbs up, also downloaded Diablo Immortal for mobile this week and not being the biggest fan of mobile games. But gotta admit, Diablo, as, but an admitted Diablo fan, boy, I honestly do not mind it. Go Celtics. Okay, sorry I butchered your comment, Mojo. So there you go. Wade the Louse says it's a piece of shit. Mojo says it's pretty good for what it is. Wade the Louse playing on PC, Mojo's playing on mobile. Could that have something to do with it? I don't know. I've seen most people shit on this game. Most people have pretty negative things to say about it. But I I don't know, man. In this way, Mr. Way of the Loud, this is not to accuse you of just uh, crying bloody murder along with the rest of the internet. I'm not trying to accuse you of that. But I do see this happen quite a bit where it's like a game includes some form of in-game currency or microtransactions and people write it off about being pay to win. But it's like not really the case. Like, for example, I'm playing that new Crossfire Legions RTS game on Steam right now. And it has an in-game currency where you can unlock new units, new characters, new cosmetics through an in-game currency. You cannot buy currency outside the game. You cannot use real-world money to buy this currency whatsoever. It is not pay-to-win. It is 
basically pay to unlock shit, which is a very age-old common mechanic in video games. Nothing weird about that. And all the Steam reviews for this game are lambasting it, saying, fuck this game, it's pay to win, all the good shit's behind a paywall, and it's like, one star, do not recommend, do not recommend. And I was really disheartened to see that while I was downloading and purchasing the game, because I was like, it's Crossfire, I'm going to buy it no matter what, I don't care. But I was really, like, tempering my expectations, going in like, fuck, this fucking pay to win model is going to really ruin my enjoyment of the game. And then I got in the game, I played the tutorial, I played the first few levels of the, of the campaign, I was like, I, I, where's the pay to win shit? I get into the menus and I start looking around. And I'm like, yo, this is all in-game currency. You cannot spend real world money on this game. And it reminded me, oh yeah, a lot of people don't fucking know what pay to win means. I, I think in, in way allow, again, I'm not saying you are this person. I realized by reading your comment and then having this conversation, it sounds like I'm singling you out. I don't mean to. But what, you know, I was talking to Kronky about it while we were playing Crossfire Allegiance together is that you got to understand that right now, it's fucking 2022, man. There are kids right now who are like 16, 18. Fuck, there are kids who are like 13, 14 who are like playing video games and leaving reviews on the internet and influencing people on YouTube and all these social media platforms because they are people who have internet access. Access, But you think about it, it's like, okay, a 14-year-old, 14 years ago, what year was 14? 2008. <laughs> like, there are people who were born in 2008 who are probably leaving one-star Steam reviews like, fucking pay to win bullshit it's like oh yeah very very possible that that kid grew up in an era where gaming was like where microtransactions were flooding mobile games and console games and so they they know what the controversy of pay to win looks like but they didn't grow up in the nes snes n64 ps1 playstation 2 xbox og gamecube era and they didn't know a time where oh yeah dude like in-game currencies unlocking shit like reaching milestones to unlock this to unlock that to build up like that's like a classic feature in games almost from a bygone era at this point and so it's quite possible that we have this new generation of of youth growing up who like see an in-game currency and are like bullshit pay to win it's like bro that's not that's not what pay to win is so i di- i did want to say i wonder if that plays a role in why there's so much negativity surrounding this um Diablo Immortal uh, mobile game or just in general games with some kind of economy but again I haven't played the game I could be you know I could just download the game and give it two seconds and probably find the answer to my question but I don't know I did I did want to float that because I, I I thought about that and I simultaneously felt incredibly old and incredibly nervous about the future uh, of, of our society just thinking about the fact that someone was born the same year Sonic Unleashed came out and is now old enough to be like hiding porn from his parents that's terrifying all right Guys, let's read our last comment of the week. It's titled Food and Nonsense. It was written in by Mr. None Other Than Mr. Maug. Mr. Maug, who has the fucking the, the, the car as his profile picture and says, I'm downloading Super Meat Boy from Games of Gold like a good boy. My good boy behavior continues as I'm regularly ordering the toasted cheddar chalupa box at Taco Bell. The chalupa is so good with chicken and no sour cream. And it's okay, Jesse. I've been bad with my fitness recently as well, although somehow I managed to lose three pounds. Okay, Mr. Miggy, Mr. Maug, Mr. Triangle Man, Mr. Car Guy, 
Congratulations on the losing of the three pounds. Shame on you for taking the sour cream off your chicken chalupa. You should be ashamed of yourself. I hope you bend yourself over your own fucking leg and spank your ass 17 times like your mother would if you were a child and you had just gotten in trouble for reaching your hand in the goddamn cookie jar. How dare you? You are disgusting. You are vile. Sour cream is delicious. I am tired of this contingency of people. These fucking terrorists, if you will, who just insist that sour cream is not a viable topping for what Mexican food. Are you kidding me? Are you crazy? Are you dense yet? You have the audacity. Probably maybe I don't think you've ever written in about this, but I'll assume write in and defend ketchup, but not sour cream. Disgusting. Mr. Maug, but also thank you for writing in. Thank you for the kind comments and guys, that's it for our comments this week. Uh, Mr. Maug was British. He'd probably be leaving a three star review right now, but you don't have to be like that. You can leave a five star review. In fact, you can even comment in, you know how it works. You go over to youtube.com slash Xbox on podcast, click on the latest episode, leave a comment. You can say something nice. Like what many of these commenters left here today saying nice things, talking about video games, talking about food, kindly giving me their time and in, 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 in attention. And I appreciate that. Or you can be a total asshole and leave a three star review and say, I'm British and I don't understand comedy. Our version of The Office got canceled after one season while the American version went on for like 13. Enter, send review. Also, iTunes is American, so suck it. Um, But guys, all joking aside, do love our British listeners and audience. I do love all of our audience. I don't give a shit who you are, where you're from, what you look like. You're welcome here. Here's a place where we can all talk about Xbox. And since it's a one-way conversation, I get to insult you while you don't get to say shit, which is probably why we're losing listeners. But for next week, don't be shy. Reply. And please, if you have the means to do so, you have the time, you remember to do so, I'd greatly appreciate it if you'd leave a star, five-star review on iTunes, on Spotify, whatever podcast service it is you're using. But with that all said, guys, that's going to do it for our ginormous Summer Game Fest podcast. As a reminder for next week, the podcast will be going live on Monday morning, the 13th, instead of Thursday, the 16th. Normally, the podcast goes live Thursday, but everything's out of whack right now with all these game events going on. So Sunday afternoon is the Xbox Bethesda games event. I think it's at noon or 2 p.m. I forget. I got to double check. So, you know, be looking forward to that, you Xbox. But Monday morning, 9 a.m., expect another episode of the Xbox On podcast. We will be going all over everything. The gameplay of of, of Starfield, um, Phil Spencer, what t-shirt he was wearing. Maybe if we get to see his bookshelf, we can speculate about what's on there. Maybe we'll get an update on some campaign information for some DLC for Halo Infinite. Maybe we'll finally figure out what the fuck contraband is. I would like to personally see Fabled and Avowed. I'd like to know those are real games and not just titles. Uh, that would be pretty cool. Uh, there's so many, so many fun things to look forward to. Hopefully that Hot Wheels DLC is legit because I love Hot Wheels. I love Forza. Let's make them go mush mush together like babies making out. It's all good time. But until next week, guys, I'm exhausted. I've got to edit this bad boy and get it out for you tomorrow. You guys have a great night. Have a great day, whatever time it is. Take care of yourselves. Be good to one another. And remember, power your dreams.
Christmas.